0: Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Marty Ben here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Alexander Leishman, co-founder of River Financial, a new Bitcoin exchange, Bitcoin-only exchange, uh, to be more specific, that is available here in the states, uh, in eight states right now. They're looking to expand. Um, But beyond that, Alex and I had an incredible conversation of why he started River, uh, why uh, they moved from Alto to River, uh, River Financials formerly Alto Financial, for any of you freaks that may be be confused out there. Uh, Recent rebrand, River.com, great domain name. Um, So Alex and I talked about what it's like being a Bitcoin-only exchange, why they're Bitcoin-only, what that allows them to focus on, what they're thinking about building, and then beyond that, why he's into Bitcoin and why we think that Bitcoin uh, should be framed as as, uh, an American value. We should... uh, Shaming people who, in America specifically, who who, who don't like Bitcoin because Bitcoin aligns uh, very well with uh, the ideals that this country was founded on. So to be anti-Bitcoin is to be uh, un-American, I would say, and I believe Alex would would agree with me. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. We got deep. We did a little uh, a little drinking. We had a six pack and some whiskey we went, uh, for well over two hours. Um, Great conversation. Got cosmic at the end. Alex is a big history buff, so we dove into some historical topics, uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So I I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. And uh, yeah, a good way to ease into the new year. It's not really easing into the new year. We come in pretty strong, I would say. Um, So yeah, a good punch to the face for this new year. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by Cash App. As you freaks know, Cash App is the simplest way to send, save money, and stack sats. And now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. We've been telling you guys about this for months now. All right. You can now stack slivers of stonks if you so please on the Cash App. I know some of you out there like, oh, why are we stacking stocks? Why are we stacking stonks? Hey, if you don't want to, you don't have to. The option is there. What do we like here? We like optionality. All right. If you do want to stack stocks for some reason, maybe you just have an affinity for some company and you just want to buy their stocks their stock maybe it's a little too expensive for you now cash app lets you own as little as one dollar worth of that stock okay because cash app is directly connected to your bank account there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers so you can start investing today their brokerage services are provided by cash app investing a subsidiary a subsidiary of square and member sipc as always when you sign up use the code stacking sats that's one word stacking sats you're going to get $10, and then Cash App is going to be so kind to send $10 to our good friends at Owl's Lacrosse. Owl's Lacrosse. <coughs> so download the Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today, and enjoy this episode with Alex. Uh, had a great time. We had a good good time boozing about a week ago. Happy New Year, freaks. care.
1: From the
0: crypt. What is up, freaks? I gotta take a sip. We just cheers. Ah, welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Friday, the most confusing Friday of the year after Christmas. Um, sitting down with somebody I'm very excited to speak with. co founder excuse me, the founder of River uh, Financial, Alex Leishman. Alex, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Marty. So good Alex- to be here.
0: Alexander Leishman. Do you like Alexander or Alex? Alex is fine. Yeah. Well, My
2: family calls me Alexander, but everyone else calls me Alex. Yeah. Too long. Well, this is the second time
0: we're getting together in prison. The first time we met was in Riga, correct?
2: That's right, in the Baltics. Yeah,
0: we met in the Baltics. We had to meet over in uh, in Latvia. Uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. It was me, you, Nick Carter, and uh, I forget, in a circle talking about uh, yeah, coin joints or something.
2: Yeah, I was outside of a food truck. can't really remember. I think I was drinking a coffee or something. It was yeah. a few years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. Well, it's good to be back in person
2: with you. Yeah, happy to be here. And a lot is, what were you doing when we met then? I was working at an investment fund. And I was out in, in Latvia to, you know, just see if there was any cool Bitcoin investments going on. So a lot has changed between now and then. Before
0: we get to what you're doing now, let's get into your story. How did you get into Bitcoin? You've been doing this for a while now, it seems.
2: Yeah it has been a while. Um it's been a wild ride like it has for for most of us. I I first got into Bitcoin I think it was 2013 summer I started um playing around with some web programming and using using Bitcoin to build a you know a fun project for Bitcoin donations because I didn't have to get hooked up with Stripe or any real payment providers and I could just have something that worked right away without asking for permission um but my interest in my interest in kind of the ideas behind bitcoin go back a lot further actually when i was in college as a sophomore i started reading a lot about austrian economics i started reading just about economics in general and went down the rabbit hole eventually ended up reading the denationalization of money by friedrich Friedrich hayek and I, i was studying aerospace engineering at the time but Uh, got really interested in these economic ideas and by the time I was a senior in college I really thought you know one day my dream was to build a financial institution outside of the purview of the Federal Reserve basically offer people money that the government couldn't really control and what what uh what year were studying this in college um let's see I graduated college in 2012 okay yeah so Bitcoin had been around at that point but Bitcoin was launched while I was in college but I didn't really know about it I wasn't you know, I didn't have many friends in computer science. wasn't really exposed to that. I think one friend had mentioned it once. You know, and didn't really think think much about it. Didn't look into it.
0: Not that it matters, but where did you go to college?
2: I went to University of Maryland. Oh, both. Yeah, from undergrad. Yeah, I grew up, born and raised Maryland. Yeah, so Terps baby. That's right.
0: What uh, what's the the life of an aerospace engineer major like?
2: Yeah, it was it was uh it was pretty lonely. It was a lot of work, a lot of studying. I was, I think I stressed myself out, but overall, I mean, I learned a ton, a lot of math, first principle stuff. I was really, I was doing a lot of work on um, like autonomous systems, dynamics and controls. I worked in a lab there that was the collective dynamics and controls laboratory, which is basically how do we get fleets of robots to collectively behave and have certain, you know, and achieve certain goals. So that was pretty cool. A lot of uh, the internet of things like like yeah, uh, yeah kind of or, but actually a lot of these uh aren't internet connected. I I did a lot of underwater robot stuff, so like AUVs um and so actually those are hard to communicate with. So you need to rely on their their own autonomy to, you know, to work because they can't really communicate easily outside of the water. Yeah. Interesting. Do you find yourself applying any uh the principles you learned in that major to the Bitcoin world? I mean, I think that I think like the, fir- the this this idea of just I think like the you know dynamics and modeling systems is just teaching you a way to think in general which is like taking a simple thing or taking a complex thing and breaking it down into simple parts and that you can kind of uh work off of in bite size so for example you know when you're when you're modeling an airplane or something the first thing you learn is well let's assume this is just a dot right and their forces acting on this dot and how do we how do we uh, model this if that's our model? You know, how do we calculate its, its behaviors uh, if, if, that's our, if that's our model? And then you incrementally in- increase the complexity. And I think with, um, with kind of building things around Bitcoin, like just taking those lessons has been really useful because Bitcoin is an inherently very complex thing. And I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by like, how much there is to know. And I think engineering just in general teaches you to like, you know, acknowledge you're not going to know a lot of stuff break it down into simple p- pieces and, and try to just like take bite size chunks out of it.
0: Yeah. That's something, uh, after my conversation with Dave column last week, something I like tweeted out was like, I think a lot of the world's biggest problems stem from the fact that people don't understand complex systems at all, or don't, aren't even aware that systems are complex.
2: Absolutely. I think that, you know, my time as an engineer uh, both in aerospace and and moving into software eventually really hammered that home. I think you know in software, the feedback loop is so fast because you build things and you um you just iterate and iterate and you realize that you know every software engineer has introduced a million bugs into software inadvertently by making a simple change that they thought wouldn 't be a big deal and then it broke a bunch of stuff and that kind of hammers home this idea that like nothing is really simple right and
0: and more importantly, it hammers home the idea that like maybe these systems can't be micromanaged or uh, like you're saying, you want to build a financial system out of the purview of the fed. Uh, I imagine it's um, I don't want to lead you here, but I imagine it's because um, you don't believe the fed centrally
2: controlling a a monetary system is
0: is advisable.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you look at what works in economies, it is kind of this emergent behavior from the, you know, individual actions of people pursuing their own self-interest. But I think it's odd that as in the United States, especially just speaking as an American, we value the ideals of free market capitalism and this hands-off approach to an economy more or less. But then the core of our economic system, the money, is managed by this priesthood, almost kind of like a communist politburo. And I just find the, you know, cognitive dissonance there quite odd in our our society how this is accepted um and goes unchallenged but we kind of as a society also collectively love free market ideas yeah well i think we like the idea of free market ideas maybe that's maybe that's a more apt summary
0: right yeah because it doesn't feel like we're living under a free market right now specifically because of the way the fed acts right
2: well yeah i mean for sure i think i mean i think you know on the spectrum of like a way an economy could function. Like if you compare us to, you know, the Soviet union, we're relatively free market, but you know, we still have a long ways to go. I totally agree. No, Yeah. It's a sliding scale, right? It's the, the
0: story of the boiling frog. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you, uh, sort of build this, this worldview into your product at river?
2: Yeah. So, so, um, I, th- I mean, so the high-level question behind kind of this whole, like, money th- thing is, well, if the Federal Reserve isn't, you know, isn't controlling the money supply, who should, right? Or, or what should it be? And I think the the answer that people like me have come to is that we just let the market decide. Um, and so, at at River, what we're doing is basically kind of the um, manifestation of this, of this goal I had as, as an undergrad. Uh, and that's to give people access to this new type of money that is neither controlled by the government nor controlled by private institutions either. Uh, when I initially, you know, kind of conceived of an, this idea, I thought that maybe someday the company I started would issue its own money, uh, backed by commodities or something like that. Maybe we have vaults full of, um, you know some commodity that that backed that backed the currency.
0: Yeah, you go back to like the 18th or 19th century Canadian banking system they had a free banking system? Yeah, by hard assets, I believe.
2: Yeah. And um the United States also had you know some well, you know, there wasn't a lot of hard assets backing some of the money, but I mean we had gold-backed monetary system for a long time. Uh and and actually so, you know, I think the long-term goal of river is to basically be this this, this big financial institution that competes with the current ones out there, the JP Morgan's, the bank of America's, the Goldman Sachs. Um, but an institution that grows up around this new type of money and that's Bitcoin. And, And the initial goal here is to give people access to this new type of money because you can't build a financial institution around, around money if people aren't using it. And, um, and so our goal right now is to build, build features around building the best Bitcoin on ramp for people in the United States. Yeah. And you're
0: just teasing a, a GIF of how easy it is to buy, to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. It seems very easy.
2: Yeah, it, it is very easy. Once you're signed up, it's it, so signing up is pretty smooth. Just there's some KYC information. Unfortunately, we can get into that if you want to talk about regulations in the United States, but. Once you once you're once you're signed up you connect your bank account and you can just buy right away and We make that Bitcoin available to you in a, in a few days and you're good to go you can withdraw it deposit it on chain lightning network and We're focused on giving everyone the latest Bitcoin functionality
0: And on top of that you're focused on Bitcoin only uh, which is a very very principled stance in today's world of
2: a uh, crypto quote-unquote um, why Bitcoin only? Yeah, so over my time in this industry, I I I spent a lot of time playing around with these other coins when I was first introduced to this stuff back in twenty thirteen. I remember that was really the first alt season. Oh yeah a lot of people Oh yeah, the multi
0: the multi algo altcoins like Vertcoin, yeah, many waves. The the proof of stake stuff started with pure coin. Veracoin,
2: yeah, Purecoin. Uh-huh. There was Feathercoin,
0: uh, Auroracoin,
2: Namecoin, Namecoin. People are still talking about Namecoin. People still talk about Namecoin. So you know the BTCe type of altcoins back then. Uh,
0: BTCe, RIP.
2: Yeah, RIP. Honestly, that was probably one of the most reliable, you know, businesses to have ever existed in this space. <laughs> right. So for you freaks that don't know, BTC
0: went down like a year ago We're like down in 2017 yeah,
2: i think the feds took it down
0: yeah so it was a, a russian exchange uh well it, a lot of people think a lot of the mount cox coins went through there right
2: yeah i think that's what really got them is they ended up receiving a lot of those coins and that was probably a mistake <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um yeah but no uh, back but yeah a lot of people thought 2017 was great but i remember like back 2013 2014 that adult season was uh it was a funnier one because it was more underground. Right?
2: Cripsy was the was the up and coming exchange. Big Vern, Big Vern, maybe. Vern. Big he that was the first exchange to list like all the alts, and then it was a total uh total cash out scam. The guy just disappeared with everyone's money.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you had you had exchange Big Vern. He was a dude from Florida. We don't know where he is now.
2: Did he go to jail? I don't think he ever got in trouble. No, he never. As got far in as I as far as I I know, maybe he did, but. I think I had only had like, you know, a few bucks on there when he finally shut it You know, ran off with everything. So I wasn't too upset.
0: Yeah. Big Vern ran off. I never, I actually never like, got. I never, I don't think I was ever on crypto. I was just like following on, on crypto Twitter. I was always, I was like, I was a lurker back in the day. Yeah. You know, just like following people on crypto Twitter, talking about like trading on that shit. Um, but you had that, and then you also had like the, the altcoin creators just completely exit scamming. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, my favorite—I forget what coin it was, with the dude It was like, oh, I, like the day he was supposed to launch, it, he just took a picture of himself in a robe and like a penthouse suite, like took all your Bitcoin, bitches. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was thanks. And
2: then there was also that guy who ran, who, who, Neo and B. Neo and B. It was just like bit, he he raised a excuse me raised a bunch of money to start this bitcoin store or something people sent him a bunch of bitcoin and he just like ran off with it yeah
0: this is have don't don't give people your bitcoin
2: so uh well what's funny here is so you know kind of having gone through that seeing all that happen after that after i started kind of really wrapping my head around after i started really wrapping my head around bitcoin and really Yeah, which took me quite a while, as most people, I think, and realizing that all this other stuff was more or less noise. um, You know, I kind of was just heads down for a few years, mostly just focus focus on Bitcoin stuff. And then twenty seventeen came along, and I looked up. I had just kind of shut everything else out. I looked up, and all I realized all this stuff had happened that I had totally like just not paid any attention to. There was this whole YouTube. Crypto scene that just totally took me by surprise, and all these people, all of a sudden, who knew I was worked on Bitcoin for for quite a while at that point, were, were asking me about these random things like,
0: Wan Chain,
2: yeah, like or like Iota, gollum or Iota, or all these tokens and Ethereum Ethereum tokens, and I was like, what or like, why are all these people asking me about this? And I was started now started looking at the prices of these things and the market caps, and I was realizing things are getting like crazy here. This is like at, this is out of control. So so. anyways, but at that point, I had been through one of those things already, right? I had been the noob. I had, you know, tried to buy the, you know, you know back when I was younger, just buy, buy the new coin that just came out and see if I could get it to pump and then, you know, sell it on some, you know, sketch exchange. So I saw, but, but this, the magnitude of the 2017 thing was totally different. Oh my
0: gosh. It was
2: insanity, man. It was insanity. And... I, you know, I, but so, so anyways, I mean, long story short here is at the end of the day, after all of my time in this space, I've come to the conclusion that, and, and, and uh, my co-founder Andrew Benchon kind of says this in a, in a very well summarized way, which is Bitcoin is kind of a technical revolution. There, there is really a lot of cool technical elements about Bitcoin, but it's really a more of a monetary revolution. There's no new cryptography in Bitcoin. You know, it just it pieces together hash functions, public key cryptography and creates this cool economic incentive structure around it all to get the world to agree on a ledger. Really this isn't this is a monetary revolution and and I think that in in this sort of revolution there's going to be it's mostly winner takes all. I don't think there's going to be um this this plethora of cryptocurrencies that get, you know, are friendly and get along with each other. It doesn't really make sense. No. And,
0: and the market has proven that like, like we totally. said, like many times throughout the last decade, the last 11,
2: 11 years. Um, and, and even throughout history, right? The only reason that we have so many national currencies is because nation states have borders and governments to enforce those things. But the world's money was gold and has been gold more or less for, Thousands most. of years for most of history, uh, you know, other than government mandated alternative forms of money or money in places where they didn't really have, you know, access to gold.
0: Nobody realizes, though,
2: this, though, it feels. Um, yeah. I mean, silver was a second, right? Silver was a second place. I think that you know, I mean, just that, like people, people don't realize that, like like gold was the money and then it's not anymore. Well, it's funny, actually. Funny story here it just happened a few days ago. Uh, I was I was at a Christmas event with some extended family members, and someone from my fa- someone from my extended family said, "Well, how does Bitcoin get its value?" Obviously, this is a question that a lot of people in Bitcoin have been asked. Pretty much everyone who's you know, who from people who want to learn more about it. And I started to describe, "Well, it's scarce. It's easily transferable. It's durable. There's uh, a lot of people who want something like this." She goes. And, and and then i said well how does the us dollar get value and she, and she said well it's backed by gold and i said no it's not she goes wait what then what's it backed by and i said exactly and uh and and then and, and anyways i think it just hammers home i i think actually i don't think people i think i don't think a lot of i think a lot of people i think most people Know that gold has always been money, but they still think it is. Right? They still think that their dollar is gold. A lot of people still do. No, I,
0: this is a story I've told many times on the podcast. Like eight out of ten people I ask are like, "Yeah, it's backed by gold." Yeah, they, th- they people still think the U.S. dollar is backed by gold.
2: Yeah. So, so, so I mean, some people like to call Bitcoin or money in general this whole like collective delusion. You know, they've read Sapiens or something like that. But and uh, but really, I think. The weirdest thing about it's not a collective delusion. Uh, no, it's it's not. The, the weirdest thing, though, that is a collective delusion is that the dollar is backed by gold, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is, is literally a, delusion. a, a, a collective delusion, <laughs> and and so it's I just it's kind of funny. Anyways, no, yeah. it's
0: how do we do we have to shake people? I don't like have to go physically shake people, but sometimes it feels like you have to.
2: Well, I think that if there's I'm an, not, I'm not
0: advising anybody to go physically shake people.
2: I think that there's an interesting, I mean, this is just giving me ideas, right? For maybe, maybe we'll have a marketing campaign. The dollar isn't backed by gold. I think someone, I mean, if I was a billionaire, I would buy i I'd be buying billboards in New York, San Francisco, in the big cities in the United States and said, the dollar isn't backed by gold. It isn't. People are like, what? People are like, what? I'd be like, have a website, have like a link to some website explaining it. Uh just linked to like the Federal Reserve. They probably have a page that it's not backed no, by Goldene. Linked to
0: like the what the fuck happened in nineteen seventy one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? That, WTF happened. Is that is that a real website? Oh yeah, you haven't seen it. No, it's I incredible. Haven't. Shout out to um uh, Ben. Shout out to Ben. I forget your Twitter handle right now. Ben Prentice. Uh, well, Mr. Cool B. Shout out to Mr. Out. Cool B um uh w T F oh. and
2: um So if there's any if there's any billionaires listening who want something fun to do, maybe
0: what Put the, up some billboards. What the fuck happened in 19... WTF happened in 1971. That's the website. Um, him in and Insane Clown Car. Um, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, That's a great project. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, an- yeah. Another another cool thing that would be, has anyone made a, a U.S. debt counter back, but denominated in Bitcoin?
0: Uh, I don't think anybody's made an official counter, but I have seen somebody... Uh, quote the U.S. national debt in Bitcoin terms recently. It was absurd. It was like multiples of...
2: Yeah, more than 21 million for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, many multiples. Yeah, like many multiples.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, insane. Like 100, I believe, above, way above 100 million. Yeah, I'm um, sure. It's insane. Uh, it's getting it's getting precarious too. Like we're seeing capital controls that we were, Matt and I were just talking about on Rabbit Hole Recap earlier today. Like, did you see... Uh, The lines outside the German gold dealers this week as yeah, uh, I did. They're about to uh, Reduce the amount of gold uh, Which you can buy at an anonymous level by 80% from 10,000 euro to 2,000 euro
2: Yeah, I saw that and I think a lot of what a lot of people don't know is that Franklin Roosevelt Confiscated owning any real amount of gold when he was president with the executive act 6102 and this has happened in the united states not just not just be way beyond this way beyond just blocking purchases of gold it was literal confiscation of any amount of gold over token amounts for rings and, and jewelry and things like that and this a lot of smart people were able to avoid that because they knew how to get around the system but i actually grew up with my my grandma who was not a fan of franklin roosevelt I'll, uh you know, telling me that Franklin Roosevelt actually confiscated my great grandfather's gold, her father, and so we actually have a poster of Executive Act sixty one hundred two in the River Office on the walls, so that people don't forget.
1: Well,
0: that's another thing that we're talking about. This has happened before in history, and they're setting absolutely like that's. You have to like look at the again going back to frogs boiling in water. You have to look at the small incremental steps that go towards the uh, extreme events like uh, executive order 6102 and this move in germany is one of them like they why why do they want to kyc at lower levels just so they have a registry of people that own gold and they can go knock on their doors and get the gold from them at some th- point sounds in the future? right
2: yeah yeah but, when have they done that in germany before yeah <laughs> but it, but it's not only in germany like let's not pick on germany it's happening everywhere yeah. oh in yeah argentina no, i mean you see it in argentina you see it in every I mean at the end of the day, every government paper money collapses at some point. it's never the the the, the u s dollar is one of the longest lived paper currencies I think to have ever existed i um, there are probably some some longer ones, but I can't think of many yeah, this
0: this people will contend this, but uh, the status average life expectancy of the of a fiat currency is like twenty seven years u s dollar yeah been disconnected from gold since 1971. So it's at least almost 50 years now.
2: Now there is actually an interesting counter argument here, or there are interesting arguments that I've heard, which is, and I'm not saying I agree, but it's like money doesn't matter that much because assets at the end of the day are what really matter. And money is just to, you know, money just keeps the pipes of the economy flowing. Um, And, you know, I think it's an interesting thought experiment to think, well, you know, what what would happen if the U S dollar, I'd, I'd actually don't agree with this, but I think it's I think it's an interesting point to consider. Is you know, at the end of the day, if tomorrow all of our, our, all of our dollars became worthless, you know, we would still own our houses, we'd still own our cars, we'd still own the goods that we own, but our cash would be totally worthless, which is terrible. But most of the economy isn't cash. Um, however, like who's going to be hurt the most? Right? It's going to be anyone who's saved. In cash all these like anyone who's save for their retirement all these companies with stockpiles of cash and you know people are completely vulnerable to this right now they'll well, have to sell off their assets uh to continue operating well that's it yeah, well
0: do they really even own those assets so we found this out in 2008 like after the banks left uh, after the banks fucked up the economy they confiscated everybody's assets all their all their houses like yep. who really owns those houses right and those assets and um the, Physical
2: that, goods at the end of the day are, you know, you can only, might makes right yeah. with that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's true. But, like, you, you can have, like, with cars, you can have the dealership with, like, an impoundment service or something like that. Like, yeah. What, like, yeah, what do you really own at the end of the day?
2: Yeah. I mean, and Bitcoin kind of solves it, right? Because with Bitcoin, at least it's easier to hide. It's, it's, it's easier to keep secret from society, you know, what you own. But even then, if the government comes after you and knows you have some amount of Bitcoin, you know, let's be honest, most people are going to give it to them because they have a lot more to lose than their Bitcoin. So, you know, I think there's this interesting kind of, kind of like, Oh, I hate to say it, what like, I,
0: well, is there a need for civil disobedience these days when it comes to that shit?
2: Well, I, I do, th- I do think that civil disobedience is powerful, but I do think that it's important. So I think it's important to be realistic though because about you know society and most people and what most people are going to do right if you have uh, and this actually gets into kind of my own philosophy about the importance of bitcoin um but I think at the end of the day like I I think bitcoin helps a lot but I don't think it's a cure for um problems with the government right problems with a corrupt government for example like I don't think bitcoin is going to solve Uh, you know, a corrupt, uh, a developing country's corrupt government, right? And so, you know, it it can just help and it helps create a more stable system. So like my whole Bitcoin like hypothesis is that Bitcoin doesn't fundamentally completely solve like any societal problem in its entirety, but it leads to the development of a financial system that makes it a lot easier for people to opt out of which is like a check on how much it can get away with. That, that That's my philosophy behind it all.
0: I'd, I'd say I tend to uh, align pretty closely with that, too. Yeah. Like, it's it's just a better option, right? At right. At the end of the day, there will be services that build on top of Bitcoin that act in shitty ways. But again, the, the nature to opt in or out to use your voice to exit the system is always there. And the incentives, again, this is, you said, this is a more monetary social phenomenon than a tech phenomenon. The incentives of that the tech enables, uh, allow you to, to exit easily, which is better than the system that we live in now where you're sort of forced to be surveilled and, uh, have your purchasing power eroded over time.
2: Absolutely. And, and I think actually, I think it was Nick Sabo who had a really great tweet about this, which I always remembered, which was, if the door in is bigger than the door out, be very, very cautious, like be scared. That's a great, that's a great uh, quote. Right. And, and I think actually Arthur Hayes had a, I think Arthur Hayes may have said something similar when he was talking about trading, when you're getting into a position, you need to know how you're going to get out of it. Right. If you're a trader. Um, and so that's kind of one of the philosophies that kind of I live by. And it's also what I try to, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping to maintain at, at river, which is like, I want to create this financial institution, where people can trust us if they want to, if they choose to, right? But they can get out real easy, and I think it's like important to maintain that. That's that's what I think is Bitcoin really brings to the table is that dynamic. Yeah, and
0: how do you think it's doing so far?
2: Bitcoin. Yeah,
0: Bitcoin. The if you had to, I think if you had to gauge expectations in in twenty. 13 against where we are today surpassed uh, I think come that, up a bit short
2: I think the recognition of Bitcoin has totally surpassed my expectations for it I don't I don't know about you um, the attention it's gotten over the last five years is beyond what I would have imagined in terms of what the industry looks like I think we're far behind and and there's a lot of there's a lot of improvement left I think it, it's tough, right? And this comes back to like this whole civil disobedience thing and this law thing. One of the biggest threats to economic freedom in the United States, I, I do feel like, is this surveillance state that the Bank Secrecy Act or, uh, created in, back in the 70s, um, which every financial institution is forced to abide by. We are too. Unfortunately, it's the law. Now, the question is, you know, what is what is abiding by it mean? Like, what what does the law mean? And it's it's a complicated thing. Um, do I believe that people should inherently be allowed to buy Bitcoin without anyone knowing about without anyone knowing about it? Like, absolutely. Would I love to be able to provide, provide that service as a company? Absolutely. But, you know. the laws exist and we need to abide by them as a regulated institution. And it's, but I think it's on us as a company and it's on all of us as like, well, I'm speaking to Americans here, um, but this applies to Europeans as well and pretty much anyone in any country at this point to push their legislators and push for a system that, You know, isn't this massive surveillance dragnet that that is responsible for our money? Because money, I think, at the end of the day is um, how we express our desires. How we move our money is how we express our desires. And uh, if that's all can can be seen by the government, I mean, that's pretty scary. No, it's
0: frightening. Not (laughs) just scary, it's frightening. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have it, again, and harp on this a lot too, we have a decision to make. We can go one of two directions. Yeah. Chinese surveillance state exported to the rest of the world or mm-hmm. we break free. It's not going to be easy to break free. It's hard work. Absolutely. How hard is the work? You're on the front lines.
2: Yeah, I mean here, here's here's the it's a very complicated dynamic here because you know there, there's, there's, there's a lot going on. On one hand you have these big incumbent financial institutions who from my time in the industry so far going to these compliance events, things like this, I'm kind of the weird guy who will ask like, has anyone tried to repeal the bank secrecy act? And everyone just kind of like laughs, right? Because what a hilarious question. Why would anyone bother asking that? <laughs> but that like, I do that on purpose because I know people will laugh, but no one's ever, I know they've never heard anyone ask that question either. And I want them to have heard someone ask, right? I like—I want to like, just plant that idea. Like, you know, like, this is a democracy. We can change these things if we want. I think that there's a, a bit of Stockholm syndrome. I think that a lot of these financial institutions and the people in them have been in this for so long that they, they don't consider what an alternative world would look like without this massive you know, regulatory system, this massive surveillance system, that they, that they have this whole you know, department at a company like Bank of America or JP Morgan or all these companies Dedicated to appeasing, right that and
0: then we have example after example after example of hypocrisy of uh, the people who are writing these laws uh and the banks that are supposed to be following them just completely breaking the rules, like HSBC creating uh specifically designed teller windows so that Mexican drug dealers could push their briefcase full of unmarked bills through and launder money. The yep. KYC, the anti-money money laundering, was overtly routed around by the bank itself. Like, Absolutely. To think that, like, these, these systems put in place to protect you from money laundering, terrorists, drug dealers, pedos, it doesn't fucking work. It works against
2: you. Yeah, and that, I think that goes back to this saying that, actually, funny enough, I saw in a meme once, but it actually has always stuck with me, which is, the petty thief... Goes to prison, but the big thief becomes a feudal lord. Right? And I think that's what, that's just some like rule of society is generally, that's what we end up seeing. And really the dynamic that's been created here is that these big companies, one, they can afford to break the rules, right? They have all the money. They have these government granted monopolies, basically. It's an oligopoly. Uh, a, a bank charter is effectively a license to print money, and at least, you know, for, for the bigger guys. And getting one is incredibly hard if you're not part of the club. And we've seen this actually with Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley companies basically have been unable to get bank charters. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. But I think part of the reason is that these big guys don't want them to, because (laughs) they kind of know what that means for them. And also this whole compliance system is great for them because the more expensive that they can make it to compete, the fewer competitors they'll have, right? Bank of America can afford to have $100 million a year in compliance costs. A company like mine, who, you know, has a moderate amount of venture capital funding, who's lucky enough to, to have that, which is rare in itself. I mean, in the Valley, it's not rare in Silicon Valley, but in the United States, if I'm just a guy trying to start a business that's just completely, uh, and, I, and I don't have millions of dollars of of money from investors, I can't hire a chief compliance officer. I can't pay a lawyer twenty-five thousand uh, dollars to write an opinion letter uh, about you know what I'm doing, and that's basically what this requires. And to these big guys, these costs are nothing, right? But to anyone who does, who's a small competitor, it's you 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 cannot operate unless you have millions of dollars in financing.
0: This so is the free market at work, freaks.
2: Exactly, exactly. It's it's crazy. Um, but people put up with it, man. People put up with it because I think it's kind of Stockholm syndrome. I, I think that's a lot. I, of it.
0: I really like that um, that framing. I,
2: I think that you know, if the founding fathers came today and saw what this looks like, they'd be pissed. I think that we need. I think that we need. I think the dialogue needs to change. I think the narrative needs to be flipped on this surveillance state. And I think like Snowden kind of kicked that off, but I don't think it's really continued to gain momentum. Unfortunately, um, I think like when it comes to messaging messages people send to each other, they get that because I think people can understand. I think the mass, you know, public can understand why privacy for sending for your text messages or your emails is important because everyone sent a message that they would be horrified if they knew like everyone could see, right? People can understand that when it comes to financial things. I don't think people are as Weirdly. I don't think people are as sensitive about that because they grew up in this world where they just assumed uh, everyone, uh, the, the government and the banks could see all of their transactions. And I think the, the biggest piece of evidence here is the Venmo app. I don't know if you've tried Venmo, you open that thing and you start using it and you're like, why am I seeing all of my friends' transactions to other people? You've seen people pay rent. The default setting on Venmo is public. The default setting on Venmo is to the most popular, from what I can tell, social payments app in the United States is to publicly broadcast. That's false. It's Cash App. Is it Cash App? Disclaimer. Oh, well, that's good news. That's very good news. I think they're beating Venmo now.
0: That's awesome. Well, they're number one finance or app in the finance section. That's great. That's well because Cash App doesn't do that. Disclaimer: That was, I mean, yeah, Cash App doesn't do that for that reason. Yeah. Um,
2: sponsor disclaimer. But that's great news. But I, yeah, I mean, so anyways, that's enough of my rant about this. No, keep ranting. Okay, sure, I can. Well, so what I think is that the narrative needs to be flipped here, and we need to push back against these rules and and say, not just. I don't think it's just enough to say like it's bad for privacy. I don't I don't think that's enough. It it needs it needs a stronger narrative. And I think it needs to be that it's anti-American. I think it needs to be that it's it's basically like we just need to label this as, you know, it's basically like communism. Right? If, if you look at this. It I mean, really what is. would a communist what would a you know what would the communist politburo, what what would the communist uh Government in China the Soviet Union want they would want full control over the financial system to see everyone's transactions that's what we have in the United States the land of the free and I think that we need to figure out like how did it get this way and who is behind this and why did this happen? Uh, and unfortunately until Until some big Names help push something like this. We're not gonna see any any progress. What big names are you thinking? I don't know. I mean I think if there's any hope, it's weirdly... I, I mean, maybe... Sil- What's going to be interesting here is to see how Silicon Valley decides. And not that it's one monolithic thing, but I think there's a set of shared values in Silicon Valley that um, privacy is important, even though it doesn't always manifest itself in the products. Uh, I do think that... But if that, if that value is anywhere... I, we, like, I know this sounds really weird. but like, it's, it's sounding weird. It sounds weird, but here's the thing, right? In the land of Facebook. The, but here's the thing. The land of Facebook is also, also the land of cryptographers, right? It's right. also the land of uh, privacy advocates. It's also the land of the EFF. So it's like you get the best and the worst. Right. But what's going to be interesting here is does Silicon Valley try to just go around the financial system by helping promote something like Bitcoin. Uh, or, you know, I mean, maybe Libra is doing this. It's, I, although I think, I, I don't know. Uh, it's never going to launch. Huh? I don't think it's ever going to launch. I, I, I would be surprised if it launches as well. But, you know, or are they going to like just really play ball and try to get that bank charter, right? Or try and, and try to join the big boys in New York and, and be part of the club. And I think that's what I think what we're going to see here in the next few years is the answer to that question. What are you leaning towards? I think some people are definitely going to try to play ball and some people are going to try to go through I think, I think even though it sounds really weird, I do think Facebook is actually not playing ball here and they are trying to do an alternative. Although I disagree that that alternative is that great, but um I do think I do have to give them props for trying something that is clearly pissing off the government right um because you can't argue that they're not pissing off they they are and now I do think though what square is doing uh behind behind bitcoin is very fascinating to see and I'm very happy to see such a big company help support something like bitcoin square however they're going to be I mean, it's tough, right? Because their, 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 their main business is dollars, you know, they're connected to the, the dollar system and, uh, is Bitcoin going to, are they going to be able to get Bitcoin to be this thing that can, you know, help replace themselves?
0: Well, yes, I'm very encouraged. Again, disclaimer, disclaimer, sponsor. very encouraged as well. Um, and I'm hopeful and I guess it's a good segue into, again, Bitcoin focus, like, do you think it's imperative to be Bitcoin-focused because of the opportunity cost of focusing on other projects? Uh, like, is, time, is it that dire of a situation where you need hyper-focus on Bitcoin to help it fortify itself against uh, outside attacks?
2: Yeah, and sorry for not answering the original question. I think we digressed here, but basically, yeah, back to the, you know, why are we Bitcoin-only, right? Um, and what's the importance of that? I do think that if there is going to be of money separate from something that the government prints, uh, it is going to be Bitcoin. And my hypothesis is as a company, if we're going to help take this, you know, help build, help take the financial infrastructure around Bitcoin to the next level, we have to focus exclusively on that. And there is one, there's just the the principle of it. There's the philosophical reason and the economic reason. I believe Bitcoin is going to be the winner. Um, but even if you believe that there are going to be multiple winners, it's still kind of, it's still kind of rational, especially for a smaller company. Excuse me, to do what we're doing, because as an engineer, I'm trying. I mean, I'm just trying to reason about the amount of work we've had to done had had to do right now to support Bitcoin as well as we do already, which is you know native SegWit. We built our own wallet from scratch so that we can do all this cool multi sig stuff later, and it's super flexible, and we can. Uh, we support we, we support lightning deposits and withdrawals, and we're just our goal is to have the absolute best you know custodial Bitcoin infrastructure that can hopefully someday enable a bunch of non-custodial use cases as well. If we had to do that also for other coins, I mean, that wouldn't just double the engineering work because doing it for Bitcoin is probably the easiest out of any of them because we have all these great standards we have all this incredible work that's been done over the years building libraries and making sure these things interact well like i I talked about in my twitter thread about partially signed bitcoin transactions right we have these standards that just enable all of our infrastructure to work well together i mean i can't even imagine having to do something like that for also for ethereum and then maybe like uh you know it's just the the amount of work and the complexity of our infrastructure would it wouldn't just double, it would quadruple or 10 X and it'd become a mess.
0: Yeah. Well, and let's focus on Ethereum now. Like I'm going to pick on Ethereum because of the fact that they're doing two hard forks in three weeks. If somebody runs a company, they're going to do a hard fork on new year's day. Yeah. um, Yeah. For their, for their uh, difficulty bomb. Yeah. Like what would that be like for you if you had to take on that? If you were offering Ethereum services and had to take on that burden.
2: Yeah. And and this comes back to our, our discussion about complexity, right? It's like, oh, well, it's just a simple upgrade. Nothing's going to go wrong. Just like, you just need to be around for an hour to switch it over. It's like, well, one, that's annoying. The One, that I have to do that at all on New Year's Day and I can't pick my timeline for it. But two, I'm like, what? Like, anyone who's ever run a production system knows that every even just a minor update can cause catastrophic problems and you need to be prepared for that. And it's just... It, it's just very strange that there's this such lax attitude towards kind of forcing upgrades on people. Hard forks specifically because hard, hard forks, forks are not backwards compatible. And imagine no.
0: they just have like uh, complacent users who forget to upgrade because it's fucking new year's day.
2: Now, well, now I, here, here, you know, here's the harsh reality though, about a lot of these companies is, I mean, I'd like to actually know the number of companies that have to worry about upgrading because if I had to guess it's very few because most of them are using these, Uh, Ethereum. Well, there's Infura. There's also um, Alchemy now. I think Coinbase just tweeted they invested in Alchemy recently, which is basically this managed blockchain service because it's such a pain in the ass to keep your Ethereum nodes running. People are just outsourcing it to other companies. And, you know, it's the free market at work. And so what we're seeing is, you know, it's not hard to run a Bitcoin node. You know, people have run Bitcoin nodes and haven't upgraded it for years now, and they're fine. Uh, but running an Ethereum node is—we're we're seeing companies like like Alchemy and like others raise—you know—eight-figure sums, providing businesses to run nodes for companies. It's mind-boggling to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's crazy, and so like companies are paying the plot other has been comp- lost. Yeah, it, it's cr- it's nuts. It's nuts. So, um. So that's what ends up happening, right? If I'm a company and I'm building a service on Ethereum, I end up just outsourcing it because I don't want to deal with it. But then at the end of it, at that point,
0: why are you even fucking here?
2: I mean, what have I gained? None of my end users can run those nodes or they, they can if they're very technical and want to deal with it. But it's a trusted fourth party. It's a trust you it, and it's, Amazon. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like not just Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a fourth party like we're an my you know well, actually we're not my company actually river we're we're self-hosted
0: yeah, yeah i'm not i'm just saying in that example no but in this example yeah, totally
2: yes, yeah. um but that that i mean that that's another like interesting aspect of this whole blockchain thing is you'll find that almost all these companies are running on AWS or Google Cloud and you know we made the we made the we made a decision early on that none of our critical infrastructure would run in any cloud because we 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 had to ask ourselves this question. Can we make a very short list that's completely complete, that, that's complete of who can access our servers? Right? We can as a company. We have a very short list of anyone who could possibly access our servers. If we were running on AWS or Google, Google couldn't even give me that list. AWS couldn't give me that list. And so if if we're building a Bitcoin company? How can we seriously operate, uh, with, by running on computers that theoretically hundreds or thousands of people that we'd have no control over could access? Why do I have the feeling that's the norm though? It's totally the norm because I mean, to be fair, it is a huge pain in the ass to run your own servers, uh, for a production system. Our servers are, you know, high quality servers sitting in a 2000 pound vault, uh, in a secure cage, in a secure data center, right? Or take security to the max. It's expensive to do it right. And the reality is, unless you have the resources to do that, you're not going to be as secure realistically or or as reliable as AWS and Google. And so if you're making like a social media app or something, it makes no sense to self-host, probably, unless you really care about this and you're willing to dedicate the resources. But if you're building up A financial institution based on cryptographic material like you need to be prepared to do that the right way and that was our our theory is like if we don't do it now like we're never going to do it because once you're in the cloud getting out is is incredibly difficult and um you know we just wanted to do this the right way are you guys happy that you did very happy very happy so far it's been a bit of a pain i mean there's problems we've had that that we wouldn't have had in a cloud, but we have good people. And we also just have the engineering mindset at the company to run our own stuff. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a interesting culture. It also builds when you're running your own servers and you're not just a cloud company because you become a real engineering company. At that point, you have your own machines, you're doing your own stuff right. and it feels more real.
0: All right. And going back to like flipping the narrative yeah. on, uh, we're talking about flipping the narrative on KYC AML, but flipping the narrative on this, it's actually funny. We're talking about AWS. Have you seen their commercials, like running them uh, during football oh, games yeah. of like all the companies that are running Yeah, them? I saw that. Yeah. It was like a Super Bowl ad, right? Yeah, yeah They were yeah. like,
2: they just list Netflix, uh, uh, Lyft. Airbnb, Lyft. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and for those companies, yeah, I mean, there's no way they're ever getting
0: off. But that's like ingrained in the narrative, right? It's yeah. like, how do we flip that narrative? Like, oh, you should be self-hosting.
2: That's a good question. And I don't, I don't know the answer. And I think my experience with this as a company is it's, it's quite a, I mean, it's, it's still very difficult to self host. The answer might be making the answer might be a a disruptive competitor that provides the space, um, And makes it really easy for you to get your own servers and install them and just removes a lot of the friction for it. I mean, for example, we had to find our own vendors, go through these sales processes to get these servers, get them, get them tested and, and all this stuff. It's a lot of work. It's not like a one click buy my server, set it up kind of thing. And I mean, the answer might actually just be like a company making it easier for people to do it. And yeah, it's just got to become more of a trend. Yeah, it's just got to be a trend. And I think I think it will flip back somewhat in that I think that there will be a subset of companies that realize that it's a mistake to go completely cloud only. One, because it's like in many ways less secure. In some ways it's more secure because you have this whole security apparatus of AWS protecting your servers instead of your own, maybe one guy, if that, right? But um, uh, it's... I think people are, we're going to see in the next, next few years, more, um, more attacks from like potential insiders at these companies. We already saw kind of one from AWS with Capital One, I think a few months ago. Yeah. And I think we're going to see potentially more, there might be some like watershed thing that happens, right? That'll make people go, wait, maybe this isn't a good idea. (laughs)
0: You can hope, but then you like see things like Equifax and all that shit, and it just comes and goes, and nobody gives a fuck.
2: Yeah, it's tough. I don't think it's. I don't think it's gonna dramatically get better anytime soon. Frankly, I think. But I do think that, hopefully, we'll see a transition to some some more hybrid stuff, where some of these like cloud-only companies, and I think we're start. We've actually I've I've seen rumblings of this happening in the cryptocurrency space at large. Is a more hybrid thing where people have some of their own servers and they outsource some of the stuff that needs to like be more elastic to the cloud, right? So for us, even like we use some cloud services, but no, no user, no core user data is on there. None of our core applications are running there. You know, our request, our, our internet requests are proxied through G Cloud because they you know have some good DDoS protection. But we're not, we're not tied. Like if G Cloud went down tomorrow, our our company would still operate, right? We'd still be good. We'd we'd lose a few little kind of tools here and there that we host in on, on G Cloud, but you know, not a deal breaker. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No, that's no, um, it's interesting, man. Do you Are you interested in anything like Herbit? Does that interest you at all?
2: I don't know much about Herbit.
0: Yeah. All right. Post cut. Accidentally had to cut something out there. Yeah. Um, but for good reason, right? Is that, good reason. A, talking about uh, meetups here bit yeah. dev, Socratic meetups. You started one in San Francisco. Yes Accidentally I, mentioned somebody who was at one and uh, these Socratic meetups are big on privacy So we're not trying to dox people that are t- attending these meetups.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I accidentally let something slip Didn't want to make one to make sure that everyone's privacy was protected. Although I think You know, they wouldn't have cared much but I'd like to stick by my own rule Yeah, so I, I didn't start the original Bitcoin meetup in San Francisco. I'm more tagged along about a year, year and a half ago to help bring this BitDev-style meetup that is in New York to San Francisco. And it's been a pretty big success, I think. Yeah, I mean,
0: I thought we were spoiled here in New York, but you guys get like Greg Maxwell and Peter showing up, Peter Willis showing up, and we, there's Andrew a lot Chow. That,
2: there's a lot of talent in San Francisco. Yeah, we're really lucky to, to have so many very knowledgeable people.
0: So, uh, what was the most recent, uh, Socratic meetup? Like what'd you guys talk about?
2: So the most recent one, we talked about some mining news, a lot of Bitcoin pull requests, things like that. Uh, the biggest thing that's been happening in Bitcoin obviously has been this bit taproot stuff. And Peter has been doing a lot of work on BitTapRoot. There's been this whole effort to have this big review process. It was I think it was around started 6 by, weeks, 8 weeks.
0: Yeah, started by Andrew Town's November 1st.
2: Yeah, it was bit. so it's been about it's basically like a 2 month process where hundreds of people from around the world uh, basically created these sort of subcommittees or subgroups to review BIP Taproot, try to build stuff on on it and, and just probe it basically. And it uncovered a few very important things actually. One of the things that uncovered was this whole BEC32 malleability issue and, and, and the fact that it potentially has some implications of BIPTAP root and there needs to be some modifications there. Long story short, the BEC32 address uh, serialization uh, that like SegWit addresses use, the one that starts with B1, B, B1 addresses. That's 16 versions, though, right? Uh, 16 versions?
0: Like you could... There could be know, i'll we'll talk about that later oh, okay okay go into this one
2: um basically it has these this sort of this this error detection feature part of um part of the standard, and the goal there is you know let's say that I'm reading my my Bitcoin address over the phone to you Marty, and you write down a character wrong and you paste that in a, in a and you send a Bitcoin transaction to that address it will detect that that'll it'll the, the, the encoding will detect that you got a character wrong and, and potentially even give you the information necessary to fix it. Um, now, one thing it actually fails to do in this weird edge case is, and let me just see if I remember this right, if the, if the address ends in a queue, you can insert an arbitrary number of P's before the queue, and no errors will be detected. No chain. No 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 error detection will occur, and that's because of this constant that was chosen um, in the equation, in the formula to calculate this. These the random string. Basically, the string um, was was not an ideal choice, and if it had been another any other choice other than I think it was one, and if it had been anything other than one, like we'd be fine. But unfortunately. Because it's one, there's like this edge case, and it's just kind of annoying. It's not like a a real, it's not like a game, it's not a showstopper. But it just means that with Taproot now, there has to be this enforcement of the length of um, these addresses, uh, whereas the goal was hoping it could be like arbitrary, um, but now it has to enforce that it's either a um, pay-to-pub-key or pay-to-witness script length exactly as opposed to arbitrary length. And I don't I don't I'm not knowledgeable enough to know the deep implications of all this right now, off the top of my head. But anyways, this was this was something that was discovered in this review process and that's actually, you know, so it's really proven its value that this, you know, this was something that needed to be addressed. Uh, the malleability was discovered earlier in the summer, but the fact that it had implications on Bip Taproot was something that was uncovered. And so stuff like that. So it's it's been quite quite good. I'm very hopeful that Taproot will materialize next year. Well, this harps back to complex systems, right? Like, Absolutely. Little small changes,
0: you have no idea how it can affect everything. So I guess it's a good segue. Like, do you hope for ossification at some point um, at the protocol level?
2: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Like how much? That gets into how philosophy. much tinkering? Like
0: back thirty-two, like great upgrades. Segwit's great. We get we get lightning and all that, but like, how many? Like, is there a point at which we uh, we fuck around too much and? like too much of a, a weird externality that we don't know and can't control.
2: Yeah. Now luckily things like BEC32 are encodings and so they're not at the protocol level directly um, but like Taproot is a very this is very clearly a protocol um, a, a protocol update a soft, soft fork and it's hard to say you know these, these upgrades are made with a lot of foresight put in in, in the sense that there are all sorts of version flags in different parts to make it extensible and upgradable down the road with a lot less effort. And you could argue that's not a good thing because, because it's easier to change. It is more likely that more, if it if it's easier to make changes, that means it's easier to introduce problems. Now the, the counter argument would be, uh, the changes that are being made easier are mostly soft fork changes. So it does keep it backwards compatible.
0: And I would argue that the fact that there's no... So I, I like what you said there, that uh, the fact that it can be changed will lead people to make bad changes. I think blockchains like Zcash and Decred that have like inherent governance mechanisms on this built-in. I don't know about Zcash, definitely Decred, but like you're just like leaving an Achilles heel there, a zero day, a social scalability zero day where somebody will just propose something because it can't be proposed and that may not be um, advantageous in the long run.
2: Potentially. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough thing because, you know, Satoshi left these upgrade paths for us. And because of that, we've been able to make some of these changes that have been quite beneficial. SegWit, and script updates and so far this extensibility has proven quite useful and if there's any argument against ossification it's the argument that crypto cryptography is cryptography is a is a, is a I don't, cryptography is built on a foundation of sand basically, right? The fundamental idea behind cryptography is that there are these problems that we hope are hard.
0: Yeah. It's entropy at the end of the day, right? Like entropy exists.
2: Yeah. But one of the problems is that we can't prove that the problems that we think are hard are actually hard. And we've seen this over the last few decades. And this is just my opinion. And I'm sure if you ask a core dev, they'll have much more insight into upgradability and paths like and paths to upgrades and things like that but one of the fundamental things that i think is important to acknowledge is that if we look at the last 30 years of cryptography the cryptography that was considered government standard in the 90s early 90s like des encryption is totally broken today they tried to upgrade it with 3 des that's broken and and it's because these problems that we thought were hard became not hard because of either, um, mathematical breakthroughs or computational breakthroughs. And with, I don't want to get into the whole quantum computing debate, but quantum computing aside, we still can't prove that certain problems that secure Bitcoin are hard. And there might be a a world someday where we need an upgrade path to keep Bitcoin secure. And the argument to keep that around, uh, so the argument to keep uh, a culture of upgradeability is that you know we might need to someday for the sake of the existence of the system.
0: No, I really like that explanation.
2: Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, as close to as ossification as possible, but if if need be, have an upgrade upgrade path. Right. Well, that's that's my view.
2: Yeah, and but but I think if you compare Bitcoin to everything else, the conservative, slow, methodical approach to any change is key to its success. And I think we're going to see this more and more over the next few years, especially as all these chains that have been like the hot new thing constantly update, change, update and then they wonder why no one's using it. Uh, You know, imagine if if everyone had to upgrade their TCP implementation every time time, uh, there was an internet upgrade. You know, how many people would would the internet be around right now? Right. You know, exactly. Well, and and we've seen this with, with, um, with, I think it was called gopher, right? Gopher was this top down designed network protocol that was better than HTTP, right? More, more, uh, more efficient. And I think my understanding is there were like constant, there were updates and versions and HTTP was vanilla. It was simple, but it just worked. And that's what won at the end of the day. People, it's hard for people to grasp that. The Bitcoin doesn't need to be. And it's especially hard, I think, for, for, you know, quote unquote, smart people. Because a lot of smart people. How can a dumb thing do good things, right? And a lot of smart people think that they can understand the complexity. They think, and that's where what Friedrich Hyatt calls the fatal conceit. Oh, right? dude, slashing. It's yeah. the next thing. Sharding, slashing, all that. Yeah, you can you can
0: manage all that complexity. Let's
2: just add complexity; it will get better.
0: Yeah. So, go into the high quote. that You're going to go into.
2: Yeah. No. I mean, I think that that doesn't just apply to economics. Um, this is economics, but it's also technical systems, and I think that there are a lot of people out there who still think that they c- they can reason about these insanely complex systems, and it's going to work as they they hope and especially in the cryptocurrency world where where we see this approach with Ethereum especially um, I think it's very uh, misguided and what we see with Bitcoin is you know two years being spent on what on the surface looks like a relatively simple protocol upgrade right BIP taproot but two years of intense you know dedication to this upgrade surfaces all these like little things that you know we didn't realize and and it, it's just a totally different approach. Whereas Ethereum's like, let's just rewrite it all. <laughs> <Let's just> rewrite <laughs> it all. <laughs> and we're gonna, you know, if and this comes this is actually reminds me of this Joel Spolsky, one of the founders of Stack Overflow. He has this interesting blog post about why he's you should he's got
0: a great blog.
2: You he's should got, read Joel's blog. He's got a great blog. And that he always talks, there's a famous blog post he has, which is never rewrite software. And one of the things he points out is one of the fundamental things people get wrong is if you couldn't write it right the first time, what makes you think you're going to write it right the second time? Uh, And as opposed to writing it in a way that is not perfect but works and then iterating and iterating and iterating, smoothing out all the warts, if you just throw that away and rewrite, what you end up with is a completely new system with a whole new set of warts.
0: Right. And this is at uh, Kai Turkle, uh, who did the chain code residency. He uh, brought this to my, I'd never heard this phrase before, the second system syndrome. Um, basically mm. uh, talking about IBM when they, I guess they remade a, a system uh, from scratch as well and it failed miserably. Um, but that's a, like E 2.0, it's second systems. Like what makes you think the world computer the second time around is going to be a okay.
2: But at the end of the day, I think the market will determine I, I think we'll we'll see this play out in the market. I think we're already seeing this play out, especially on the Ethereum side of things. Companies getting more and more frustrated with it. We'll see these new web three point oh blockchains that have been hyped for like the last three years roll out and deliver things that are kind of underwhelming but still compete. With Ethereum and ETH 2.0. Well,
0: that's a big question, right? Like, do we have another alt season? Like, I think.
2: I think the SEC. I think the SEC made it impossible to have a true another alt season.
0: But yeah, but like that, like not even like SEC enforcement, but like how is the market smarter than it was in 2013 and 2017? Like, is it, like how many greater like if Bitcoin wasn't flipping in 2013 and 2017, maybe one more alt cycle, but if it's around for 15 years and yeah. somebody's come at the throne for almost two decades and like, it's all right, all right, you're trying to spin up a new cryptocurrency. All right, get the fuck out of here.
2: It's hard to say. I, I don't think that let's, let's SEC aside. I don't think that we'll ever see a world where people don't try to make new money. The lure is too tempting. It's so easy too. Before it was a world where the, every government would try to make its own money because why wouldn't a government try to make its own money, right? I mean, it's basically free money to them. So why wouldn't a person or an, a company try to make their own money if the if that gate's been open? Uh, why would anyone not try? You, you now you could well obviously there's a whole principle approach. There, like this is the principle of it, right? But completely why would not why would a completely selfish without any sort of, uh, any sort of you know, philosophy guiding them, why wouldn't someone try to print their own money if they could?
0: Well, maybe they've seen others fail so many times. Like, How many all-coin bubbles do we need to see before people realize you're not going to take out Bitcoin?
2: I think humans have short memories, though. Yeah, There's always yeah. going to be new suckers, right? There's always a Ponzi scheme being taken down. There's yeah. always... But maybe I mean I think it's I think the magnitudes gonna the frequencies and the and the number I think are gonna be a lot fewer yeah and you know we might just see it in we might just see it manifest itself in other ways I mean it morphed from this public crowd sale ICO thing the SEC clamped down on that it became sell to institutional investors and try to find and the dynamic became basically you had the smart money. Getting in before retail, funding the initial idea, getting a big cut,
0: and it's well, and not even retail, getting up, getting
2: the yeah. dumber, getting the dumber institutional money that wasn't as well connected, bumping up the valuation, and then uh, eventually, what happens is Coinbase then lets the institutions dump on retail, right? Because that's effectively what Coinbase is now, it's a because shot. once all the public crowd sale ICOs are are, are over. Have been on the market. Like all those are already inherently on the market day one. So what? So now, what's the path for any any ICO that was only given to institutional investors uh, when it when it started? Well, eventually, it gets listed on one of these uh, exchanges like Coinbase. And where do you think those coins are coming from? I mean, everyone who owned it was some institution, and people buying it are Coinbase's customers. And Coinbase is basically just letting like, institutions dump on their customers. Yeah. Coinbase is the lube for fucking retail. But, you know, you, now there's a counter argument here. And that's, well, that's what an IPO is for, for equities. And that's not wrong, right? Now, the, this really just comes down to do you think these coins are going to be long term be worthless or not? Now, Coinbase obviously doesn't. Um, but if someone like you or I does think they're going to be worthless, then the integrity of allowing institutions to dump them on their cons- customers is, is disgusting. Is questionable, right? Yeah. But different different views, different well, takes.
0: Well, let's get into why this is immoral, right? Let's get into pre-mines. I tweeted out earlier. Like, I think pre-mines are zero days on social scalability. Pre-mines are from first principles, if you do a pre-mine you are fucked from the beginning. And from a first principle standpoint, if it is not a... Nick Carter actually just wrote a piece I skimmed through it. I haven't read read it as thoroughly as I should, but I just saw that he posted a a piece that like proof-of-work fair launches are the only fair launches that you'll see in cryptocurrency, and I very hardly agree with that. And I very viscerally agree with that. And he actually proposed a new uh, way of launching a coin which is doing pre-sale ASICs which makes sense to me again I haven't read it thoroughly enough but that is appeasing to me when you compare that to an ICO and a pre-mine it's just completely like an ICO pre-mine makes no fucking sense it's not fair at all it it from first principles it is bastardized it's funny how because in 2013 that was like if you did a pre-mined altcoin POW launch you were the fucking scum of bitcointalk.org. Well,
2: it's funny. I was about to say the exact same thing that, and I think we see this in, hu- like just human in society is the, the, the line starts to slip, right? What used to be totally abhorrent and unethical becomes the norm. And I, th- is that, is that okay? Well, you know, I think there's two ways to view it. I, and I, I, don't think, I, I, I fundamentally.
0: And I'm not. I'm not saying pre-mines are bad because we decided in 2013 they were bad. I really do think, from first principles, the fairest way to distribute these types of digital assets. Sorry, beauty on, is via proof of work. Yeah. That anybody can participate in.
2: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, but there's, I mean, there's also the counter argument though. There's the whole free market. Narrative, right? And that's like, okay, well, if you believe in free markets, then... People this, can do whatever they want. People yeah. can do whatever they want, right? Now, the kind the of argument to that is, well, there's... Just because you can do whatever you want doesn't mean you should. And I can I still have the right to say that I think it's unethical. Uh, so, I don't know. I bet I think... I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm a realist. I think at the end of the day, if people are allowed to do it, they're going to. Yes. And if we're just relying on shaming... If we're just relying on shaming or like kind of this um or ethics to dictate like that people never do it that's not going to be realistic i think what we have to see play out is and what we have been seeing play out is that economically a premine is relatively detrimental to the success of of the currency and with bitcoin its biggest one of its biggest advantages is that it has no one to go after it has no entity that ha- that got the initial capital it has no founder it it just is
0: and then on top of that it has no again it has no no founder only that can be pinpointed by a government or right somebody but it also has no founder i can dump on the market like we're finding this week with ethereum one of the co-founders is dumping ninety two thousand ETH. yeah to support his video game people are pissed at him but it's like fuck you guys like he he worked he got this you can't tell him not to sell those coins right like, what did you expect you made the initial offering such that he was going to get a large tranche and do whatever he wanted with it. Yep. With it. Excuse me. Yep.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's still, I think probably a number of ETH whales who just got free coins in the early days and didn't do much to contribute at all to this, to its success, you know, you know, waiting on the sidelines to dump at some point. Yeah. And
0: it's just like fascinating watching the, the Ethereum's, basically hope for altruism from these people. Like, Hey, you should be investing in the system. You should be giving that money back.
2: I thought that was silly. Yeah. I I did think that that was odd that they would, uh, like it, I mean, at the end of the day, I
0: mean, I get where you're, what you're saying, but like, you can't,
2: you can't expect that. Yeah. Like asking someone once it's their money to be like, well, why didn't you? It's like, okay, I I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I'm just like a pragmatist. Yeah. But for me, what I think, and I hope, I, I hope plays out is that. You know what we see is that this founderless, kind of this founderless coin without these pre-mines, with, that attracts development for its own, that it attracts developers because they're purely interested in working on it, uh, is what is going to win out. Is there
0: uh, is there a funding issue in the blockchain world? Is there a developer funding issue?
2: That's a great question. I think that it's funny that there's this. Argument that if there isn't funding, we're not going to be able to, you know, support the ecosystem and build this thing out. But it, that that line of thinking runs totally counter to the entire world of open source software. No one paid Linus Torvalds to build the Linux kernel. Uh, now you could argue that companies now sponsor developers to contribute to it as it's become widely adopted, but still. Um, you know, it's just if people care about something, they're going to work on it and in the open source software world. And it, I think it's like it's they're putting the cart before the horse. Like funding doesn't attract interest from open source developers, interest attracts funding.
0: Yeah, we're seeing that with Square Crypto, Chain Code, Blockstream.
2: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, massive. I, like, I cannot begin to express how appreciative I am of, of chain code and Square Crypto and things basically because there are you know, some deep-pocketed individuals who truly care about the success of Bitcoin. Digital Garage in Japan. Digital Garage, yeah. yeah. All over the world we're seeing this. And, we're, and that is truly sustainable development uh, in building a sustainable open-source development environment. I think what we're going to see with a lot of these um, VC-funded chains is there's nothing keeping these people around once they vest. They don't really care about the success of, you know, you know, DFINITY or any, anything like that. Like, maybe the, there's, like, a few people. Doesn't that fucking piss you off, though? Like, I feel
0: like, me personally, I am in this for liberty in the digital age. I think it's an imperative that Absolutely. we fight
2: this battle. Bitcoin has people who are ride or die. And I don't think anyone else really has that.
0: Doesn't it piss you off, like, being a ride or die? Like, what? Like, fuck you, people.
2: Yeah, it does. It does. But at the end of the day, like, I also acknowledge that that's, like, counterproductive. I mean, we the only way we're going to win is if we win for merit, like, on our own merit. The free market's going to be the free market. And, yeah, like... I see these people raising insane amounts of money for dumb ideas and it does piss me off. Totally. Absolutely. On what I think is a lot of marketing nonsense. Uh, and and, and frankly, sometimes lies about what their chains are capable of doing. It definitely pisses me off and it pisses me off that they're suckering people into investing in that. But at the end of the day, the best way to beat that and shut it down is to just outperform it and build build the proper build the proper system. So
0: what's the future of river financials product suite look like where are you now? And where do you want to go? You said you were talking about non custodial options for your clients in the future. That's appeasing to me.
2: Let's talk about it. great question. Yeah. So right now what we offer is, uh, buy sell deposit withdrawal, uh, on Lightning, on chain, in eight U.S. states, we're launching across more of the United States next year. You know, thanks to regulations, <laughs> got to go state by state, but it's a grind. But we're getting there. And uh, so, and then on top of that, you know, we're trying to attract people who are, you know, interested in, in responsibly investing or buying Bitcoin long term. So we really try to encourage recurring. Dollar cost averaging buys. We actually give you a discount if you set up a recurring purchase. So, um, you know, if you buy one one time, it's it, the fee is a little higher than if you set up an automated an automated buy. And then, uh, one idea we're toying with is not just an automated purchase, but an automated withdrawal. So, uh, you know, something you can hook up your hardware wallet, set it and forget it. And it just gets deposited there on a regular basis, yeah be dope be pretty dope, right yeah, and then, yeah, so you know we're playing with some ideas there we and again, this stuff is only because we this stuff is because we're focusing on Bitcoin, right because what you think about what does it require to do this? It requires us to be able to interface with your hardware wallet, store your XPUBs, derive the addresses that you need for your wallet, all with our backend infrastructure, and um you know we're prepared to do stuff like this now I can't promise a timeline on this it you know it's definitely some work but we're working on designing it now and uh, so so high level you know anything that touches the dollar system inherently has to be custodial we can't at some point you're trusting us to once you give us the dollars to let it the Bitcoin so there's there has to be trust and I do think that Society. I don't. Th- I don't think anyone wants to live in a society where you can't trust any institution, right? A society like that is is chaotic, right. right? Because that's the that's basically what it means. It's a total chaos because no one can trust anyone else. Yes,
0: you want trust in the world. You don't want to. Ha- you want to be able to verify, because, right? Like trust is good at the
2: end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. So we want people to trust us, but I also want people to not have to trust us, right? That's kind of like the key. Thing for us is, I want I want people to trust us. I want to build a company people trust, but I also want to pe- build a company people don't have to trust. And so, uh, you know, so in terms in terms of products we build out down the road. So there's the whole um, there's the whole like custodial side of things where we're offering, you know, people secure Bitcoin accounts where they can store their Bitcoin, and then integrating with their own self custody, you know uh, down the road. So I I gave a little hint at one of the products, which is, you know, auto withdrawing with a recurring purchase. But if you think about what we, where we're going to be positioned is, um, you know, if our users have lightning nodes, for example, right. Uh, we could auto withdraw to their, um, to their lightning node, right. With a key send, for example, and then they'll have, they could, we can open big channels with them so that they could easily, um, uh, through us right we can provide we can provide convenient services for our users who have potentially you know Casa huddle setups right where they have multi-sig Bitcoin wallet they have a lightning node um, but they need someone around with them right mm-hmm. they need they need uh, someone to buy Bitcoin from they need someone to somewhere to sell the Bitcoin all that stuff or services all the core services that we provide that, that we provide now that we can earn revenue on are things we could provide if we don't hold someone's Bitcoin and so that's how we're thinking about this. No, I think that's
0: an awesome approach and focusing on DCA, particularly first one of the podcasts we're an hour and 24 minutes in. I'm going to give myself props for that. Um, I, Matt and I actually got dinner with a friend, uh, a week ago and he was telling us how he had like, as much as we've been shitting on Coinbase, that's probably the best feature they have is, is easy DCA. And he told us, And he forgot about his Coinbase DCA and he opened up the app. He's like, yeah, I fucking just passively accumulated more than a Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, like, so uh, like DCA services are actually great for whether you like it or not for, for not you particularly the listener, whether you like it or not for holding the price up and, and creating like passive buying demand. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. And we think that we actually, as of, we we think we have the best product here. One, not because we offer just the vanilla DCA, but we offer you know, a discount if you do set that up. And then one thing we're also very focused on that pretty much, from what I can tell, most of their companies in the space aren't, is providing very uh, insightful data around the performance of that. So um, on river.com, you can... Log in and you can see exactly your unrealized gains and losses relative to the dollar now, some people don't care about that because they're just focused on the number of Bitcoin, but then at the at the end of the day, people have to pay taxes, people have expenses, and people need to know um, their realized and unrealized gains and losses in dollar terms and we have give you a very clear picture into that and
0: so so, it's a huge service yeah like, why isn't that yeah like why, why isn't would, that a thing right. yeah
2: I, I can show you uh, after the podcast, I can show you what it looks like yeah. How'd you get river.com? That's a good question. Is that hard? We had to buy it, that's for sure. Uh, it wasn't free, but we went through a big process. We we had to rebrand a few months ago. And we wanted we, we, we were at auto financial. We were at the domain was auto.financial. We used that this rebranding process as an opportunity to buy to, to acquire a brand and a domain that was more premium, kind of delivered trust uh, when a user kind of went there for the first time. We also did a lot of user research and found like a lot of people don't understand anything other than a .com. Uh, It's like confusing when people have to do, especially for most companies, it's not a big deal, but if you're a consumer financial product, not having a .com can be a challenge. And it often even sometimes doesn't, doesn't work in certain forms. So we wanted a .com and we wanted a name. We just loved where the trademark was available and uh, just kind of symbolized things that we thought were important. So with, we had our, we had a logo already that we really loved and actually the, um, the logo. So, um, uh, my co-founder and my parents are, uh, actually from West Virginia and so there's a bridge there, the New River Gorge Bridge. This is a very beautiful bridge. And that was actually part of the inspiration behind our logo. And so river, you know, New River Gorge, it kind of just all flowed together. Flowed together. Yeah, exactly. Pun intended. There's also a lot of puns you can make with river. You know, we keep the money flowing, uh, all sorts of stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a river flowing from fiat to Bitcoin. Makes sense. Exactly. Very we're fluid. We're a path. Talk about liquidity a lot in this uh, this space.
2: Exactly. There's a lot you can do with it. And so far, the reception's been great. People really love our name. Well, and
0: it's a dominant domain name. To get river.com is pretty huge. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, yeah I,
0: I love it. Yeah. I think. Do you think it'll be worth the investment in the long run?
2: I think so. And if you think about it, actually, from a company perspective, um, a, a, a domain purchase, especially with something like that, it's an asset on your balance sheet. You know, It's not an expense either. So it's not like we lost value as a company by spending the cash to, to acquire that it's it's a it's valuable in and of itself just to own that but I think at at the end of the day like years from now when we look back because it was a hard decision do we to acquire a premium domain like this but I've I'd actually been through this before with a company that I helped start up a few years ago uh, freewill.com we were debating do we buy this domain because it wasn't cheap and in hindsight, years later, it's like, of course we should have bought it. Like, that's our brand. It's like such a big brand. And of course we want the dot com, right? And I think we're already, we already feel that at the company. Like, of course we should have bought river.com. Like, it feels so good to be river.com,
0: right? No. So, like, it it does uh, bring an aurora of uh, legitimacy. Aurora. Yeah. An aura of legitimacy. Yeah. Not an aurora. An aurora. Aura,
2: an aura. Aurora coin. Yeah. Aurora coin. Ah.
0: <sighs> You're a history buff, too, man.
2: I love history. I
0: love history. What do you like about history?
2: I think that it's fascinating that so many of the things that happen today that cause people to freak out are so mellow compared to, like, the almost the exact same things that have happened in the past, but to, like, much larger extents. And I, I just think, like, it, and so I love studying history because – I think one, like, truth is stranger than fiction. You can't, it's hard to find books that are as interesting as real things that have happened in human history. Um, and I think also, you know, it's trite to say, but history, like, I don't know where the saying came from, but history doesn't repeat itself, at it rhymes, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if you understand history, you can very clearly much more understand the world today and also things that happen that are out of the ordinary don't throw you off as much. And you have things to relate it to. And like, oh, yeah, you know, this kind of happened in, you know, like the Mongol Empire, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, for example, like a specific example today is like, I, you know, a lot of people in the United States, they go crazy about something that happens in politics or something the president says. And you look at like leaders throughout history and there's been like so much crazier people than, you know, Donald Trump. And it's like, it just kind of puts things in perspective. And that's what I like about it and especially in like the Bitcoin world or the cryptocurrency space in general, it's also funny to see all this stuff, big like people reinventing the wheel with like financial history. Um, DeFi. Yeah. Like DeFi, right? We're revolutionizing um, it, man. Yeah. I mean, what, like my favorite example, actually, I don't know if you've heard of this book called the, the history of money and banking in the United States by Murray Rothbard. It's a pretty cool book. I recommend anyone uh, listening to check it out, but, uh, one of the coolest, it was actually a footnote I noticed in there, just randomly, I don't always read the footnotes. Um, I'm not a total nerd, but <laughs> but uh, uh, I was reading a footnote on one of the pages and it mentioned how in Maryland in the 1700s, they, the, the, the state issued this currency, but you only got the currency if you burned an amount of tobacco to, to earn it.
0: Proof of burn, baby.
2: It was, from what I can tell, the first proof of burn in history. (laughs) I thought it was like Counterparty or something like that. Uh, And I just like, I love like learning that something that I thought was new and novel in today was like... Centuries old. They tried it like hundreds of years ago and it like kind (laughs) of worked.
0: (laughs) Proof of burn, baby.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: What's your favorite part of history?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I... Weirdly, I really love Mongol history.
0: Yeah, well, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Did you listen to that, yeah.
2: So that got me really. That got me hooked. Dan Carlin my, is his an four amazing,
0: part series of the Mongol Empire is ridiculous.
2: Absolutely, I re- that. that is, the way
0: he describes how strong they are in horseback and how like strong their forearms were.
2: Yeah, it just makes you feel like it makes just me feel like the lives we live are just so pussy. Really, really, Pucified. I feel like a pussy. Yeah, like <laughs> you know all of these people before were all of these, you know, men were doing these crazy things. Right. You know, and I'm not saying it, like, be it doesn't fit into everybody. my, it doesn't fit into my ethical framework of how you should behave. Right. Like I'm not saying like, I want to go like conquer a country or, you know, destroy cities or anything like that. But, um, it just like puts like my life into perspective and like how people used to live. And I just find it fascinating that these guys would, you know, he taught, I mean, Dan Carlin talks about how, you know, these guys were, b- before Genghis united the Mongols and invaded China, they were they were so poor that they had to wear clothes made of the skins of field mice, right? And they were rotting off their bodies because they didn't really shower much, or you know, or bathe. And then by the time they invaded China, and Genghis had united the Mongols, they invaded China. They were like richer beyond their wild, wildest dreams. Yeah. And just like just just this story of this like nomadic horse people. Become like controlling half the world in a span of, you know, a couple decades is insane. Yeah, something
0: like 10% of the world is Genghis Khan or something like that. Yeah, like, it's like, not really literally descendants of Genghis Khan himself.
2: Yeah, and then there's also an interesting, I think, uh, th- and there's also so much crazy stuff we didn't learn about in school, right? I mean, on, on like kind of the females in history, there's a lot of criticism of like females in history not being recognized, but, you know, in, and I learned it turns out that the most powerful history woman in the history of the world was probably uh so Genghis's son Ogedei. he was a uh, drunk and died early his wife took control after he died before and there were years years went by before they could find a new khan uh because they had to have this whole ceremony and it takes a long time to bring to- together everybody but like this woman controlled the mongol empire for for quite a while and she was probably from what I can tell the most powerful history woman in the, in the history of the world. She controlled basically like half the world. <laughs> At one point in time. Yeah.
0: Nobody, what was her name? I don't even know it. I don't
2: know. Exactly. Um, I forgot. There's like there's this book, The Secret History of the Mongols, that kind of goes through the the history starting with, with Genghis, and all this stuff is named in there. But the, the Mongol history also hasn't really come to the surface until recent years because the Soviet Union heavily suppressed it and suppressed... I didn't know this. Yeah, so... Um, Actually, in Mongolia, the capital is called Ulaanbaatar, which means "Red Hero," like like red, like communist here. And uh, in Mongolian, and until kind of the fall of the Soviet Union, people didn't really like learn about Genghis. They didn't learn about like their, these Mongol heroes. Uh, you know, they're not heroes to other people, but to the Mongols, they are. And, uh, and and also there, because of that, there wasn't as much kind of digging into the history of it all, and so. A lot, but there's been a lot of work recently uncovering more.
0: Yeah. it's funny. Uh, I noticed people complaining about Hillary Clinton writing about a book about powerful women and leaving out Margaret Thatcher.
2: Oh, did she? Yeah. That's, that's pretty nuts, man. There's yeah. Yeah. It, this comes back to just like, you know, these weird things like people just love to forget about history or I, I don't know. It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Oh. It's crazy. But yeah, Do we live
0: in a fuck time. Is it, is it feel to you that like, like uh, most people aren't paying attention? I don't know. I mean, we live at like the bottom of the barrel. of. of I don't think we of, live of, in the bottom of the barrel. Are we in dark times? Like do you, can you only tell dark times in retrospect? Can you, can you uh, proclaim them to be dark times while you're experiencing them? Or will this be something in 20 years? Of like, holy fuck, how do the assholes live like that?
2: It's a good question. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. I think my personal opinion, even though I don't know, is that things are actually... I'm an optimist. I am too. I mean, I think that if, if I've learned anything over the years, I think especially in this space, there's all this kind of people love to be doom and gloom, right? And that attracts me. You know, you know it, it was the gold bugs, and, and it's like, you know, the government's going to collapse, right? We need to be prepared. And yeah, like being prepared is one thing for the, for the, the worst case, but uh, pessimists have never changed history you know and so like i don't i don't know like i don't really like to think we live in some like terrible time i think we're actually pretty good i mean as far as i know everyone i know and i know people from a lot of walks of life i mean their lives seem better than they were 10 years ago
0: yeah i mean just think about what we're doing right now speaking through these metal devices that we're gonna yeah, put on the internet later and i'm somebody who can be pointed at and be like oh are doom's there like uh, you're pessimists. And yes, a lot of my content writing is like what the fuck's going on. But I think it's uh, from my perspective, it's, it's literally just an effort to get a different perspective out there. Cause I don't think totally a lot of these uh, perspectives are, are getting the, the attention that they deserve. I
2: totally agree. I mean, I think it's ex- like, I,
0: I think Bitcoin, that the fact that Bitcoin exists, the fact that more people are learning, the fact that social media exists, even though, a double-edged sword. I do think it will be a net benefit in the long run, even though there's some short-term terrible things that are happening. I do think everything is getting better and going up to the right, but I do think we are also at a very critical junction in human history, and a lot of things that need to be paid attention to are not being paid attention to.
2: That's what I try to do here. I totally agree. I think if I had to sum it up in my own words, it would be today, things are going really well. But if we don't solve some of the critical cracks that we that we see in our like, foundation of freedom, uh, and especially in this country, um, you know, some of the overreach of the government, if we don't start to push back against that harder than people have been already, we're going to see some real problems. And a lot of these issues are unfortunately bipartisan and hard to find support on either side of the aisle to help I mean for example you know in our own industry this whole financial surveillance thing you're going to be hard pressed to find a Republican or a Democrat who's going to help carry the flag on that one because all someone has to say is what about 9-11 <sighs> and uh, yeah well and, and exactly and that, that's my concern my concern actually isn't like the part my concern is I think partisanship in the US is like an issue um, but my bigger concern is the issues that are bipartisanly agreed on uh, that that neither party is willing to to carry the flag on. Why not?
0: I'm sorry. I was just. I don't no. want you to think I'm rude. I just put a beer order in to get some oh, beers delivered to the, great. to the studio. That sounds awesome. because um, we're running out here.
2: Um, I honestly think that some people have just. I think some people have just like lost the message. I don't know. I think honestly also just like a lot of people just don't have balls. Have balls these days, you know? Right? It's just like people are so afraid to challenge the system and I I don't know if I'm being an naive and even thinking that they were any more likely to challenge it before. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like people are just much less willing to really speak their minds. Well, As the
0: system for, is designed in a way to incentivize people to do that, right? Like I've like yeah. heard about it today, like debt is good. Yeah. Do your job, consume, send your kids to daycare, right. Complain about politics, uh, drink beer, watch sports, just yeah. live your life the way they want you to.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I don't know if you've ever seen Alex Jones, but he, I think he, I've seen Alex the Jones. guys, I, I mean, honestly, I gotta, I gotta be honest. Like I, I think he's just, I think he really does a good job that regardless of like what you think about, You know politics. I think he does a really good job at um, highlighting the things that people take for granted in the way people think. People shit on Alex Jones. He's called a lot of shit out that's happened throughout time. And I gotta give him credit though. He's not afraid to say what he thinks. And that's one guy who's not afraid to say what he thinks. He's not afraid, and he will get shut down. He will get kicked off of YouTube, and he will still say what he thinks, and he will not give in. And I think we need more people like that in the United States. They're turning the
0: frogs gay. (laughs) Yeah,
2: putting chemicals in the water. (laughs) But then, you, but then you Google Atrazine and you Google the studies out of Berkeley and other schools and you realize they actually are. These chemicals <laughs> actually... Now, not, I'm not saying the government is you know necessarily putting Atrazine in all of our water supply but on purpose, but you, know, you, you learn about this stuff and you're like, well, Atrazine is actually one of the most common pesticides in the United States and they do studies and it turns frogs from aphroditic. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, there's just all this stuff that yeah, uh, he
0: called out like the CIA spying on people and the NSA spying on people like decades ago. Oh, you're crazy. They're not. They're not. Yeah. They're yeah. Not, they're not leaning in on us.
2: I mean, him and Joe Rogan were arrested in Texas back when George W. was governor or was president for protesting the Iraq war. And, you know, we see today kind of the fallout of that, um, that big, you know, what I would categorize as a big mistake in U.S. foreign policy, the cost of it all and the second order consequences of intervening in this part of the world. You know, this comes down to the complex system stuff, right? And you think it's... But anyways, um, where are we getting at? Oh, you know, yeah, but it's, like, this whole, like, media industrial complex, which is just, like, consume, watch sports, don't talk, you know, don't, don't poke the bear, don't cause problems, you know, just... Just fucking... Just watch, Deal with it. Watch movies. Go see the actors in Hollywood. Brad Pitt has a new movie. You want to see that, right? Yeah. And if you don't, people might make fun of you.
0: You know what? We put out 20 Marvel movies last year. We got a 20 second for you right now.
2: I mean, you didn't watch the awards ceremony last night where we gave ourselves awards? What's wrong with you?
0: We gave ourselves awards and then we got up there. We accepted them and told you not to fly on a fucking flight. Don't you dare fly. Don't eat meat. Yeah. yeah. Don't Don't do what we just did all night. We all flew in on private jets, but don't you dare fucking fly, you peasant.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, you know, we need to disarm the rabble. We need to disarm the rabble peasants. Yeah, you don't deserve yeah. guns. Think of the children.
0: Yeah, you know? crazy, crazy, psychotic, fucked yeah. up people don't kill people <laughs> with guns.
2: Just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. It's like, I do think we're seeing what this, I think we're seeing the, and it's weird. I, this wasn't the case I think like 15 years ago. Um, where it seems like we did have a healthier kind of political um uh, political dialogue. Are you dialogue kidding me? Do you remember
0: post 9/11 with freedom fries and all that shit?
2: I remember that's being, true actually. I, mean, I remember
0: being forced to vote as a 12-year-old whether or not I wanted to go to war in Iraq. That's true. Yeah. Like in my school. Really? Granted I went to Yeah, I was in South Carolina at the time, but Okay. Like, but, like, it was literally, we ate, we ate freedom fries, and there was, like, a vote. Like, there was rabble-rousing at the elementary school I went to. Wow.
2: Well, maybe, I mean, maybe this is my own bias, just being older now and being a kid then. But, yeah. Ooh, I don't ooh. know. I don't, I don't know what the solution I mean, but I, I think the weird thing that I've seen develop in this country in a, recently, and, and maybe this was the case back then, but there was a different flavor of it, was there's almost this, like, self-righteous Puritanism. Like this, like, class of like you know self righteous Puritans who will punish you for sinning, but sinning isn't like religious in nature anymore. It's like you know, it's questioning the, I guess, like like woke capital. It's
0: woke capital, baby. It's yeah,
2: woke capital. Are you woke?
0: Yeah, it's like it's questioning your wokeness.
2: It's like the Bible thumpers aren't really like. But thumping Bibles anymore. So instead, it's these like woke people thumping Bibles, but they're not Bibles. It's like government rules or something like that. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like they. Yeah. It's, no, it's, cool. it's yeah. It's, it's kind of how I feel. Tell us how you really feel. Self righteous. I don't know. I'm just like I just like any self righteousness stuff. Just kind of really pisses me off. People yeah. getting on their high horse about this, that, or another.
0: Yeah. Well, you're speaking to somebody who likes to get on their high horse about Bitcoin a lot.
2: That's true. That's, That's okay. Good. That's one, but that's one thing. That, that, that's the acceptable one. You, but you have to be, you have to be,
0: I've come to find, especially as I've been shilling Bitcoin more. Yeah. You have to be aware of how you can come off as of self-righteous. <laughs> <laughs> Self-awareness is key. Be aware.
2: Be aware. Yeah. Um, well, what do you think? I mean, you know, are we, are we in worse, worst case today than we were 50 years ago? 50 years ago. Or I don't know, 20. What's, what's the right time frame to be comparing to?
0: I've gone back to this story many times. What spooked me out, what really pushed me to Bitcoin full blast was when I worked uh, worked in finance, I worked at a fund. My boss, the CIO, who I worked under, was born in Soviet Russia, raised in Soviet Russia, immigrated to the U.S. when he was in his mid-40s and the mid-90s. And so I really focus on the change since 2001, since the Patriot Act. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing he noticed he moved here in the mid nineties. And I've said this many times on this podcast. He, he cried in the airport cause he couldn't believe like the amount of freedom he felt when he, yeah. when he landed in the States. And since the Patriot Act and what's going on with the TSA and all the screening in the airports, he like warned me, he was like, Marty, like this is turning slowly into what I ran away from. Like be, be wary of that. And that's wow. really what I've really just opened my eyes to be like, all right, alarm systems alert like we got to figure out like i do not want to end up like soviet russia i don't want gulags
2: coming to america yeah it's um and it comes back to the stockholm syndrome stuff i mean we're so desensitized to the tsa that existing now you know that south park it's like bend over let me wipe your asshole yeah you know it's like it's like okay, I just want to get on my airplane. I let's hurry this my up. My
0: wife, my wife hates this, but anytime I have to go through the X-ray stand, I stand up there and just give the double bird, like in the thing. <laughs> going around, she like she's mortified by it. She like it's like we're not allowed. She pretends like we're not together. We we'll get through security <laughs> sometimes. I don't know. Because every time it's just like fuck this? Like you're radiating my body.
2: You might start getting randomly uh, pulled aside. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. I and I even feel it on myself, right? I used to travel a lot for work. My first job out of college, and I used to, I used to try to, you know how you can still opt out if you want, but like they make you wait and you go through the metal detector and get like the full body pat down and you know, Mm -hmm. um, I used to do that. I used to do that, and then I just got worn down. I was like, this is just too much work. It takes too much time, and like, and and honestly. You start to realize it's more complicated. It's yeah. like because it's not that guy working there who's like the enemy. No, it's this right? system. It's like this system. And you're like, I don't want to give this. This dude's already had a long enough day at the TSA. Like, I don't. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just pissing this poor guy off who makes whatever fifteen dollars an hour or something. And it's just like, and then you just feel helpless. And you're like, okay, I'll comply. That's right? why I
0: think the double birds in the in the machine that actually. helps because. Or or very uh, it's in the
2: central database somewhere. No, and
0: it's just effective. Everybody can yeah. see it like I fucking hate this thing and you should too. Yeah. Um I like that. Yeah. Do it. Join sending, me. Sending sending those messages
2: me. is important, right? Yeah. You're like the small response version of this is you've been sitting at a meeting and some just not quite right, and then someone just says something that everyone else actually thinks, and all of a sudden it Everybody's just changes like, the you. dialogue. Yeah. Like I think you know we just need more more of that in society, yeah, it's just like someone willing to do that thing that just elects people like unlock what was kind of locked in outside in their brain
0: yeah if the tSA forces you into that radiation machine, give them the double birds, yeah, put it loud and put it, hey, we've got free speech here, hopefully still, middle finger. I don't think you can get arrested for that. put it up, yeah, tell them send a message, not even to the TSA. but it's another like it goes on to like a lot of people like to ba- blame the bankers. I would blame the central banks a lot of people like to blame like all the commercial banks, and yes, they're definitely culpable for very bad stuff, but at the end of the day they're working a system and incentivizes them to work it in a certain way like yeah. you need to change the system, yeah, you can't fault the individuals working within that system
2: don't hate the player, hate the game exactly I mean you can hate the players if you want, but it's not going to change anything you've got to change the rules of the game if you actually want to change how the players act, and so yeah, i mean that that's the that's a million-dollar question. How do we do that?
0: Well, you create a system where incentives align better. Yeah, yeah. I think we would both argue that Bitcoin is that system. I agree. <sighs> we're almost two hours in. I think yeah. we can keep going. Let's do it. You've got what? I got time. You gotta get out of here by six.
2: Gotta get out of here by like, yeah, four thirty. Four thirty.
0: All right, we got an hour and fifteen minutes then. Let's do it. Should we do a pee
2: break? Let's do it.
0: All right, and we're back after. A P break and whiskey run. Yes. We're going to close it out here. I want to focus on flipping the narrative into not supporting Bitcoin as anti-American and Bitcoin is as American as you can get. Let's, let's
2: dive more into this. Absolutely. Th- that's what I think the narrative needs to be in the United States. At least. I mean, I think every country around the world has needs to take its own approach, but I think by and large, a lot of developed countries follow the, example of the u.s. and this is the most important place to prevent things from going south for bitcoin and for this idea of people choosing what money they want to use so i mean and in my own personal opinion i consider myself you know american through and through the ideals of the united states and in, in my opinion revolve around individual liberty and human freedom
0: right that's what did you see what came out today from the court proceedings from the uh, youth developer virgil no in north dakota no well, it's actually a pretty pretty important distinction to draw here too like he the judge specifically cited texts that he sent his parents about property owned in puerto rico um being out of the u.s and then like wanting to denounce his citizenship as reasons to deny him bail um and then also tying in the fact that he told his parents that he and this is again uh up to this point hearsay from the government and it has been proven with any hard hard data as far as i can tell but it's what the judge is saying that uh he, one renounced uh, it made it apparent that he had property outside the u.s wanted to renounce the citizenship and then was willing to help a a, a, a state enemy uh, facilitate uh, around capital controls. Now, that is not how I view Bitcoin. I view, I mean, yes, it is definitely possible to do that, but I view Bitcoin as more as like an American ideal, freedom enabling technology um for individuals in America, like I don't want to go uh, I, I I I still have faith in the ideas of America and that we can make America a better country moving forward. Like I don't want to leave. Me and help help enemies or anything like that.
2: Yeah. And, I, and, you know, one of the things I love about Bitcoin is that everyone loves Bitcoin for their own reason, right? There's also, I think, you know, we both know the people who hate the idea of the nation state in general. Um, I'm not one of those people. I love my country. I think the nation state is probably the most stable situation for the world to have is a, a collection of nation states. And I, I love the United States. And I think Bitcoin can help make the United States a freer more prosperous, more stable country. And that's why I that's part of the reason I love it. I don't
0: want to say ironically, but Bitcoin would do that by making the nation state smaller, right?
2: Yeah, or less Back powerful. To, yeah, less yeah. powerful. Reign in its ability to be overbearing,
0: right? And that's what Bitcoin is, right? Like we've been discussing it. It's a tool to which you can, if you want to you can enter or exit as you wish and if you do enter it, it is a sort of leverage stick against the incumbent system that is controlling you.
2: Yeah. And I think it's important to point out, I mean, what, you know, what is Bitcoin, you know, the arguments in the, in the Senate or, you know, in the house against Bitcoin have largely been around money laundering and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think that's secondary to one of the bigger uh, um, arguments. And I forget the name of the, of the Congressman who's talking about this, but you know, he kind of got it right, which is that Bitcoin challenges the supremacy of the Federal Reserve, right? It challenges this idea that the government of the United States can control money. And this is a debate going back all the way to the founding of the country with, you know, the the National Bank and the First yeah. National Bank and Alexander Hamilton and Andrew Jackson and, 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 and all the debates around that. And, you know, the debate's clearly not dead, but... Uh, it has been... Pushed to the background, the back burner for quite a while, though it has because you know the central bank narrative won at least for the time being. Don't fuck up the money, freaks. History has taught us this. Yeah, there are many lessons throughout history, and look at what they're doing. Um, You know, after Nixon, there wasn't even gold behind the dollar, and
0: well, in the system, particularly number two, um, another hour in. Uh, the operations that the Fed is embarking in the last three to four months, uh, it's hairy. Like they've had to increase the size of their balance sheet at a pace that has been seen since Lehman collapsed. Yeah. Uh, the head of, excuse me, not the head of the BIS, but an analysts at the Bank of Internet National Settlements came out and said that the Fed was on the brink of experiencing multiple long term capital management systems or excuse me, long-term capital management, like uh, explosions within the hedge fund world, which is insane.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can call me crazy. I, I do think I do have this beyond just Bitcoin logically making sense to me. I feel like it's almost fulfilling this weird prophecy that has been kind of written in the stars for, the United States but also for the world and I don't know why I believe that but it just feels right and one of the one of the charts that I show you know investors or other people when I try to explain my company is um, the Federal Reserve balance sheet and an arrow pointing to where Bitcoin was launched and it's right at like this initial explosion the
0: inflection point right? it's
2: right at this inflection point on the federal reserve balance sheet and uh yeah, you know, it just feels like it, it's hard to describe to people who aren't in Bitcoin, but I think a lot of people sh- like you and I share this. It's just like it's just the right thing. It just needs to exist and it needs to happen. And you know, w- with my own company, my my parents were like, "Well, why are you doing this?" I was like, "The company it, this needs to be built, right? And I totally think I could t- this company, you know, it's totally possible that it doesn't work out, it fails, but it's more than just, like, this logical thing. It, there's almost this weird spiritual... Gravity. Gravity. Yeah, this, this exactly. I think that's the best description. There's this gravity just pulling this thing and making it grow, and it's hard to explain why, but, like, people I, in it just kind of know it needs to. If you would have told
0: 22-year-old Marty that he'd be hosting a podcast and writing a daily newsletter about Bitcoin, he'd be like, go oh, fuck yourself. Man. Yeah. The fuck, like, what? Yeah. I'm not... I, I'm not trained to write as you can tell. There's a lot of typos in my newsletter. I'm sorry. I try to do the best I can. It's truly from the hip Write at once. Don't read it, post it. I'm not a journalist. Uh, as you could tell too, I don't speak too good. Yeah. Sometimes like yeah, I, I mean, somebody I'm... just put a mic in front of my face. Like <laughs> it's just been this gravity. I'm like, ah, all right. If nobody's going to produce this type of Bitcoin content for me, I'm going to try and produce it the best of my ability. Exactly. For other people.
2: And, and, but that's the mindset in Bitcoin. And that's what I love is that, you know, I think all of us at one point or or another, were sitting around asking ourselves, why isn't anyone doing X, Y, or Z? And the answer was because I'm not doing it. If not me, then who? Exactly. If not me, then who? And that, you know, that's just, that's what I love. That's what I love about it. Yeah. And it's crazy. The
0: amount of crazy smart people it's gravitated towards it right yeah absolutely that's what keeps me saying and i'm like all right maybe this makes sense talking to smart people like you
2: okay. i mean i i when i'm when i'm running these socratic seminars in san francisco i feel like the dumbest person in the room man it is you know there are some insanely smart people <laughs> working on this stuff and uh, writing code for it every day, and it just blows my mind the caliber of people who've decided to devote the majority of their life to this. And
0: especially at these bit devs and Socratic, the bit devs meetups, like, there's people that nobody knows about. Or fuck, nobody knows about them. They're not on Twitter. Yeah. They're not on GitHub. There's like yeah. smart nerds, and they, like, they are focusing on this and can provide crazy insight, and people don't even know about them. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the
2: anonymous people. There are not, these really talented anonymous people working on this stuff and it's i don't know of many things like that yeah.
0: do you think we hit a tipping point where everybody's like ah why would i ever go work at a bank like i can i can work on building btc pay server out and,
2: or something like that this is an interesting question uh, so this is something that, that i chew on and especially relevant to my company is um this thought experiment, let's say Bitcoin becomes, you know, the biggest, the the most widely used money around the world, right? There's still probably going to be banks. Right. And they're still probably to make a lot of money. So I don't know. I think today what we're seeing is a lot of very smart people who, for a lot of very different reasons, really care about Bitcoin. And they're willing to, put their economic self-interest in a way over their own personal interests or sorry they're they're willing to put their own personal belief in this and value that higher than their own economic self-interest because the majority of people working on bitcoin stuff could probably be making more money working either in big tech or finance Um, because at the end of the day bitcoin there's money in bitcoin but there's not. there's like, not that I mean uh, you know the, with the market cap of bitcoins what what is it now like what hundred fifty or fifty billion dollars yeah. I mean okay, but like um Apple you know has earned over a trillion dollars this in the last ten years, right like you know there's a lot of money there's more money elsewhere, so yeah
0: but that's also what gives you hope to stay around right is that there's people
2: it just attracts something it, it, but I think that's what makes it so. Uh, promising is that despite the lack of quote unquote funding, all these people are willing to dedicate their life to it. Dev incentives, man. Where are the dev Where incentives? Where are the dev incentives? Yeah. The dev incentives are philosophical and that's something that you can't replace. That's something you can't ever buy from somebody. And it pisses a lot of people off. Yeah. that Like that's
0: how we explain it. It's like, yeah, it's just philosophically driven. They're like, what? No.
2: And the most, the most fascinating part of this is it's every, from what I can tell, a lot of devs have very diverse philosophical reasons for caring about Bitcoin. And I think that's the most, That, if anything, that makes it even more permanent because it's almost like all these people from different walks of life, from different countries, from different social backgrounds, with totally different worldviews, like, have come together to care about this. And it's at the intersection. And that's what's so powerful about it is, like, Bitcoin is like this; it sits at the intersection of so many different worldviews um, that people f- from everywhere tend to really care about it.
0: Yeah, no, my uh, my favorite funny uh, dichotomy of worldviews that get along in Bitcoin is the vegans versus the carnivores. Yeah,
2: it's hilarious. I have multiple, you know, vegan friends in the Bitcoin space, and multiple, you know, very carnivore maximal meet maximalist people. And, uh, it's just funny that you know, two, a, polar two polar opposites can come together and right? digital money, right. magic internet money, the
0: mm-hmm. vegan account. Shout out to the vegan account. Uh, yeah. they, they love TFTC. Oh yeah? been, They read. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Uh, I'm not personally a vegan, but no to each of their own. Yeah. And shout out to you freaks out there.
2: And then there's also the, e- well the more fascinating thing for me is you get this socialist types of people who see bitcoin as a means of enabling you know the oppressed of society you see the libertarian anarcho capitalist people who see bitcoin as a means of escaping the government oppression of society and then you see, and then there's the technical people who just think it's really cool to work on technically and then, you know, there's then there's the traders, right, who just yeah. care about flipping it and, you and then you have like get sucked in
0: and then you have the people backed in the corner who actually fucking need it and are using it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: You have the people who straight up can't get a bank account and Bitcoin. They fell into Bitcoin because that's the only option. Yeah.
0: And that's why I hate like the uh, it's almost like a virtue signal to like hate against certain use cases of Bitcoin versus another when yeah. really they all sort of make the other one possible, right? Like the, the yeah. speculators are providing liquidity for the people looking to skirt capital controls in certain countries.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's another sign that it's good money because what, what money, good money is something everyone wants. Every single person in the world pretty much wants that we'll take, we'll accept that regardless of where they come from, what they think, any of that, you know, anyone in the world will accept a dollar basically, uh, Or a hundred dollar bill, you know, to see that as valuable. Bitcoin's hopefully gonna be the same thing. No, but it's like
0: it's funny to watch people like. Excuse me, burping whiskey, burp there. Watching people try to shame others for using Bitcoin in certain ways, like come on, just let yeah, let people do what they need to do the way they need to do it and work again. Like we're saying, like when you try to educate people about Bitcoin, you try to under, you try to first get a uh, perspective from which they would understand it best. Yeah, for people uh From Venezuela, they would escape hyperinflation for people in America or not even hyperinflation uh cross border capital controls people in america uh escape like just holding your money in a bank account that could be confiscated from like use it as a store of value, just use it as a savings account, yep, but all these use cases
2: can work in in harmony, and they are yeah i and I think that Kinda of one of the silliest things that, that I've seen is like the shaming of people for oh, one of the silliest things I've seen is the people shaming people for quote unquote hoarding it and how you know rich people are using it now and and you know the thing I like to say is, have you ever met a poor person who doesn't want the same money a rich person uses? you know there's a lot of there are projects out there that I think have been very naive in trying to, you know, build, well, I call it, frankly, you know, they're trying to make money for poor people, right? It's like money, these crypto projects making money for, you know, people they think are, you know, the disenfranchised in society. And and I, I think it's so misguided because poor people don't want money rich people don't also want. Right. Like, have you ever met a poor person who doesn't also want a dollar? Doesn't also want the same the same money Bill Gates has? Well, that's what I like. And that's it's silly. It's totally silly. It's
0: it's it's incredibly silly because you have to view money as a tool, like water. It's yeah. like water. Like anybody in the world, criminals, straight people, gay people, black people, white people can access water. Yeah. And if they can access water, they can drink and hydrate themselves. Uh, same goes for Bitcoin. If you can download the blockchain connect to the internet you can access that too right like right it, it could serves everybody yeah socioeconomic race sexuality gender whatever it may be
2: and I think the the end conclusion that a lot of people can fail to really understand is that if something is good money people are gonna use it for stuff you don't like you know whether that's unsavory activities or whether it's just things like you're personally opposed to, like hoarding it or spending it on, um, you know, things you don't approve of or, you know, it's just. No, that's,
0: that's the other thing. Like who, what is unsavory? What is unsavory today may not be unsavory tomorrow. Exactly.
2: It's like speech, right? You know, there's free speech is important because everyone will always, everyone has their own definition of what people should, is, what's okay to say and so we just say you know pretty much everything should be okay to say with some small caveats but like those caveats are pretty universally like agreed upon in the United States um and what
0: are the small caveats like don't scream fire in a movie theater
2: right yeah like, it's like stuff it's like the basic things that I, I don't know I'm not so I'm not a legal I'm not going to pretend I'm a some constitutional law scholar yeah. so yeah but
0: but it feels like people are today more than ever right like and again i go and, the optimists and the pessimists come and go. Yeah. like Today, more than ever, it seems like people are willing to cede their freedom of speech in, uh, in an attempt to be woke. It's what a it virtue feels single, like. In an attempt to virtue signal.
2: I mean, I have some British friends who definitely just value it less. I mean, to them, you know, it's a very uniquely American thing. Where'd the the First these, Amendment where'd is... Where would you get these British friends? Oh, well, just, you know, school and things like that. But yeah. it's, um, you know... It's it's just interesting, kind of debating these ideals with them, and then I realize how unique our our country is, and how f- how much foresight the founding fathers had, you know, writing the First Amendment into the Constitution, because that has saved us from so many uh, government overreaches.
0: What's the uh, what's the conversation with the uh, the Brits usually
2: like? Uh, it's usually like, well, why should you be allowed to say something that's hateful or bigoted or um, you know? offensive right you know and, and then i try to explain to them like why trying to define offensive inherently creates this power structure that uses used to oppress people at the end of the day and you know they don't really like really, it doesn't really resonate with them because it hasn't happened to them yet like them personally right it's happened to other people in the uk and in these other countries but not them yeah. and they, you know, you point to someone who said something like, he was a like dog, that guy in Scotland or his dog, he had his dog do a Nazi salute on YouTube, right? And he ended up like having to pay some fine because he was, he was like a comedian or something and his dog did a Nazi salute. And you kind of point to stuff like that and they're like, well, he deserved it because, you know, why should you do a you know something like that and it's like well you know it, it's kind kinda of a, you know, we're just kind of, you, know, you just end up kind of talking over each other you're not on the same wavelength and it always comes back to, it reduces to this like well he shouldn't have been allowed to do that should he you know and and then you're kind of stuck in this weird like it, it, it gets it, yeah it's just never very fruitful no it's totally different world views frankly
0: <laughs> right cuz i'm like how the like it's just yeah e- it, like, people are just it, if you can't hear the absurd like yeah people and again it's like not like we're trying to justify anything either it's just like we're yeah it's where the whiskey kicks in here and like have to think about uh,
2: regardless i think that in this country we're blessed to have the protections we do have yeah it's like
0: it's like again, like the, the virtue signaling will capital theme. Like it, it's just getting to a point where people aren't even critically thinking for themselves and they're just parroting stuff. And yeah. And, uh, trying to tell other people to shut up. Like, don't, don't say that. And yeah, it's, it's a bad situation. Cause like, again, like you said, like who, who decides what is right and what is wrong.
2: And the, I think the, I think the reason that this debate is, feels like it's getting so out of whack is because of, the internet and social media. And what we're seeing is I think like personally, I haven't personally experienced these issues in real life that much. I haven't really experienced too many people in real life, you know, getting outraged because I said something that, you know, offended them or something or, or things like that here and there. It happens. I haven't either. Really. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's this dynamic of this, these, these, I don't know how to solve it. Basically, we have these web apps, basically these very large web applications, Twitter, Facebook, etc and they become these places where people talk, but
0: lots of people talk. And context is missed, though. Context is missed. Through these digital mediums.
2: And then people say to these platforms, hey, why aren't you stopping this guy from saying this? Or why aren't you stopping? Like, you don't think being a Nazi is okay, do you? And they're like, well, no, I don't think a Nazi's being okay. Then why haven't you banned him? And then, and then that's where it starts, right? And like, what's it? There's some like, God, what is it? Godwin's law? Like, it always like every every conversation on the internet like devolves into Hitler or something. Like, <laughs> I've never heard this. And it, it, it's really funny. It's really funny because um, I made a <laughs> I made a Reddit post uh, announcing River like a, a week or two ago, and then. Weirdly, one of the threads devolved into into talking about Hitler. You know, like really, was, yeah, yeah. It was like I can't remember. It was like, <laughs> it was like which it was like which countries are you available in? Uh, or it was like, why are you only available in the USA? And I said, um, well, because that's just where we're like allowed to operate right now. We don't have the international like regulations or approvals from these other countries yet. It takes time. And one of the guys, and then one of the responses was. Uh, are you available like I, I, well you should be available in other countries and i said well where are you he goes europe we don't really care about nation states too much though and then and then and then, and then some other guy like responded well the uk does and then like they started devolving into like well america's better than the uk because we have guns and then like <laughs> and then like that devolved into like hitler and it was just, like you know anyways so that's like what the you know internet conversations are but anyways then these like web apps you know people are like well why aren't you banning certain types of speech and then they go well maybe we should because well why should people be allowed to say this on our site that kind of makes us culpable right I don't know solution.
0: No it's a slippery slope it's a, it's a hairy slope it's 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 weird and it's again like going back to like we were born at this inflection point and we are literally experiencing this stuff for the first time as a species, as a social being. Exactly. Like how to interact with these technologies and it's trial and error at this point. But um fuck, what the fuck was I gonna say? It's something like profound not profound, but I guess something good to say. Um techno- oh yes. Uh Rockstar Dev, he uh I guess uh I forget what company they had a problem where like their Slack communications got leaked no. And like it was like, oh, they had a terrible uh company culture. It was because everything was on Slack and Rockstar made a good point. Like you can't
2: It was a suitcase company. Right. Yeah, it yeah. Was away. Yeah, it was away. Away.
0: Um but like that's a that's a problem when you just uh rely on that one uh medium of communication for your whole communication where you can't really hash out like hard, hard problems like via text. Like you need to hop on a one-on-one call and like have a conversation with people. Yeah. Like that is not happening, uh, in modern companies when it should be. And that's why i like to do the podcast face to face. Like, I think there's a lot more value in like looking somebody in the eye and, and, and actually like getting the, the feeling in the air and stuff like that and getting inflection and stuff like that to have a better conversation and actually, get to the cores of the problem. Right. And absolutely. It's like genuine communication is, is getting abstracted in the digital age.
2: Absolutely. And the cost of saying something to someone that is incredibly, you know, I don't like the word offensive, but just incredibly like brash and just devoid of any sort of manners or respect is so much higher in real life. Right. On the internet, there's no cost whatsoever. None. You spin up in a non account, like you can say whatever you want yeah, to someone. If you're
0: like, hey, you fuck her to your face. Yeah, it's fuck like, you. You know, it's like, what, dude?
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone says that to your face, you know, something might happen, right? You know, if there's like physical consequences. uh, And it's just, yeah, I don't know how we're going to, what this is going to turn into on the internet. Well, and I don't know the solution either because I don't think this whole idea of like open source thing really, that only really solves the problem
0: no no they're, again there's tools right yeah they're just tools it's also like at the end of the day it's social right yeah at the end of the day we do live in meat space
2: and it transcends we are organic beings like it transcends cultures too is the other issue like we you know day to day we interact with our own kind of people for lack of a better term people who kind of generally share our, our own views on the world in the united states at least and then you know you get people from any other country in the world also in the system and you know you say something on twitter about muhammad and all of a sudden pakistan government sending uh, twitter a notification that you you, you know you broke pakistani yeah. blasphemy law uh and uh you know twitter has to send that to you and you're like what the hell like what <laughs> Like what what am I like what dystopia am I living in that I'm like subject to like Islamic law, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's it's kinda nuts. Yeah. It's but again, it's
0: and and we are the guinea pigs for these technologies, right? That's the thing that freaks me out. The the trends in social media with with uh, kids in middle school is like, particularly girls is like scary as fuck, man. Like increased self harm and suicide rates. Really? I mean, yeah. that didn't surprise
2: me. I haven't no, been following dude. that.
0: Like social media at the, like somebody was nieces and nephews and cousins who have children. It's like, fuck, like, yeah. Um, we really don't know the full repercussions of these technologies on psychology. And there's definitely, I mean, like the price of Bitcoin, the uh, volatility of uh, the consequences of this technology, I think it's going to be pretty high in the first few decades of this transition into the information age.
2: It's a shock to the system for sure. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised. I'd like, I'd like to see a survey from these Silicon Valley executives about how many of them let their kids, what ages do they let their kids have access to this stuff? The more I it get, fucks. it's like, you know, I mean, I think
0: As social beings, like it's all about clout and all that and what does social media incentivize?
2: It's yeah, like. but I mean, I don't know. I, I think we're seeing understanding of this. I, I do Mark Zuckerberg's kids have access to iPads and iPhones? I'd be surprised if they do. Um, I know Chamonth uh Padapatia pad, you know, he doesn't let his I don't think he lets his kids have Facebook. And he was an exec at Facebook for a long time. And I personally probably won't let my kids have access to any of that stuff. It, one, I don't have kids, but once I do, I mean, because I see it, right? When you're a kid, you don't understand and you don't, it's just too much. I I don't know. I think we are still learning to live with this.
0: Yeah. That's no. hard.
2: I had to delete, I, I mean, I deleted these apps from my phone. I, I, look, I have Twitter now because, you know, there's a lot of inbound business stuff on Twitter, but Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, I just deleted from my phone. It just, I knew, it just, I, I log into my desktop every now and then. I,
0: I deleted my Facebook. I still need to get rid of it. I like Instagram because I get to keep in touch with my family. I use it mainly for family. And like yeah. Using it as a kind of way to keep in touch with my, what my cousins and brother and sister are up to and stuff like that. But yeah. I'd rather not share that there. Um, but no, it is. There was a Rogan episode. I forget who it was with, but they just walked through the rates of cell farm and Uh, depression.
2: Totally. Uh, You're always comparing yourself, especially at a young age where you haven't really had time to build your own, become your own person and kind of get to the point in life where you're like, I am who I am. Other people are who they are. Well, I don't I'm, give a fuck. I'm like
0: at a young age, like everything's so important. Yeah, right? like everything's the biggest thing in the world.
2: I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we're probably. I think we're about the same age, right? Yeah,
0: we're, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm 29. I graduated college in 2013. Oh, okay, yeah. So, you know, I can't, I'm trying to imagine myself in middle. I mean, middle school and high school were hard of enough of the time. Like, I just as like a teenager, adolescent. If I had, and I remember when I was in middle school, like AIM was like the thing. And I didn't really, I, I kind of had an, hand, but I didn't really, I wasn't, like, cool enough. And, but I just, rem, I'm just trying to think back, like, if, if Instagram was a thing when I was in middle school, that would have just totally, like, been crazy.
0: Dude, I remember MySpace. Like, that's when we, when I was in middle school, tail end, eighth grade. So, I was, like. Yeah, eighth grade. I got MySpace, and, like, I remember being stressed out about my top eight. Like, yeah. Who are my top eight friends? Like yeah. I'm gonna like disappoint.
2: Like, oh fuck.
0: Yeah. Like are they gonna include me if I don't include them? Like Yeah. And that's stupid shit. Now I'm like, who the fuck <laughs> cares? About, yeah, like- I mean you're an adult now, right?
2: <laughs> but when you're a kid, that can really mess up your life. Right? Like, like you post the wrong thing. And the and like your and brain is, doesn't forget either.
0: Yeah, and your brain's at such a point where it's so malleable and like yeah. the impressions that that are had on your psychology at that point are much more impressionable than
2: you have in later years of your life and you start getting like ADD from like just this constant like swiping and scrolling. I mean, I even kind of feel it now. Like I feel like, I'm, Oh, I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm okay. like I struggle to really just sit and concentrate now. Um, I need a, that's something I'm like, one of my goals for 2020 is like to try to improve that. Me too, too. When I was a kid, I could sit down and read a book, you know, I feel like it's kind of messed me up.
0: No, me too. No, and as we're having this conversation, I must say, I'm not immune to any of this either. I am very much susceptible to this myself, even as an adult. Like, I am addicted to uh, my name is Marty Beck. I'm addicted to Twitter. Like, I
2: I think that's the concern, though. It's like the adults realize what's happening to them, and it's happening to them, what's happening to their kids, right? Right. But I don't know if Bitcoin fixes this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think so. No.
0: But again, he's like, are we, yeah, are we just like a transition <laughs> fucking generation? Do we have to fucking come to grips with that? Like we're just like the guinea pigs and
2: are we gonna be the, you know, laughing stock of our grandkids? You know, we were that dumb generation that couldn't figure out how to really deal with all this stuff. Wow.
0: Could you blame us though, in no, retrospect? I, I don't think so. I mean, look at no. the fire hose of technology that's been fucking thrown at us the last three decades. It's totally it, it's crazy. Like I mean, shout out to humans. Like, yeah. We are very adaptable. Like shout out to us for adapting as quickly as we have. It's Even pretty incredible. We may not be handling it as uh as good as some people may like to think, but considering the the uh degree of change the last three decades uh specifically. Uh I think we've done a pretty good job of keeping up with the pace. I mean, we're here talking about Bitcoin
2: right yeah, now. Yeah. I agree. And then what are I mean, and what's this younger generation gonna do? I mean 10-year-olds today were born in a world with Bitcoin, right? 10-year-olds are, I mean, they're not, they're people, right? They're, like, real, like, they, they know what they're doing. They've got their own opinions about stuff. I'd be interested to hear what these kids are talking about, and that's one one place because, you know, I'm part of, at this phase in my family where we don't really have too many really young kids, um, you know, so I don't really have access to, like, talking to too many you know, too many young people and hearing what their thoughts are about things. But I'd be curious to think hear about like what are high schoolers thinking about Bitcoin or middle schoolers, right? What are these kids who grew up in a world with Bitcoin thinking about it? I don't know if you have any insights there, but I, I'm I'm curious about that stuff.
0: No, I don't. I don't. I'm curious as well. I, I mean, I'm very grateful that like I have a very large extended Irish Catholic family uh, and a lot of my cousins and, uh, extended family matters to start to have kids have started to have kids over the last decade so we're getting to that point where yeah um, what's all gonna look like in 10 years
2: Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a good. I mean yeah. Like, can what? Bitcoin fail? Can Absolutely. I think Bitcoin can fail. How? I think it'll definitely fail if we don't think if we stop thinking it can fail uh, I think that's like the important That's one of the best parts about Bitcoin is everyone is so adversary. Everyone is so... Don't ever get complacent. Don't ever get complacent. Never forget that the things you love can be taken away (sighs) if you don't protect them. In 10 years, I'm trying to think. Like when Bitcoin came out 10 years ago, what would I have thought 10 years would look like? 11 years already. 11 years. What would I have thought that it would look like? I don't know. I mean, I think that if a if there's any you know people have said this if there's any like central bank that decides to hold some Bitcoin reserves in publicly, I don't know if that's actually privately been the case at all. Like that's that might just set like a whole other world of activity off. Like I, I don't know what would happen then. We don't see that. That's an admission, right? Oh, it's or like that? an admission. Like that's like the system admitting that there's something here. I think enterprise blockchain will hopefully completely die within a year or two. I think it's like starting to like, is R three still around um, or our chain. What is it? I think it's still around. Although they've raised so much mo- these companies have raised so much money and have gotten so much revenue from clueless CEOs who f- don't want to miss blockchain. Didn't
0: Ripple just raise $200 million? Yeah. yeah. Like a Series C $200 million round? Yeah. What the fuck? Who's giving them that money?
2: Well, it's access to the cash flows from selling Ripple.
0: And they have a shit ton of $100 billion, They Yeah. 10% of a trill. The printed themselves.
2: I mean, hey, you got to give it to them. It's pretty genius from a cash perspective. I mean, how are they able I, to get away with that? dude? I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but you go look at their board.
0: Ben Lossky, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll name the name. <laughs> Fuck you, Ben.
2: <laughs> um, You know, Alex I, I, is I, not,
0: uh, not uh, agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> He's not co signed that statement, but I will say it myself. Fuck you, Ben Lossky.
2: You, you know, bitch. I think. If you like, you know, Bill Clinton speaks at their event, spoke at their event, right? Um, They have, they have the, the powerful people on their side and like, how are you going to, how are you going to compete with that? Right. Um, Ideas. We need to get more ideas out there. Bitcoin makes them. We need more. more, Since I've been, we need foundation. We need bravery. We We do.
0: We talk a lot about like,
2: we do need bravery.
0: Well, like, do we live in a world of timid men? Like, is there, is there enough well, brave men in the world? So, I mean... Are there enough brave men in the world? There's an
2: interesting tie back to the Mongols here. The Mongols, after they conquered China, and they were living the life of luxury in the cities of China, would send their kids back to the steppe to grow up. Because you couldn't become a man if you grew up in a city... Living with the creature comforts, you know, of the Chinese cities, or tremendously wealthy, you know, if you had to grow up on the steppe in the harsh weather, riding horses, and shooting providing for yourself, shooting, shooting bows, riding a horse. By the time you're old enough to walk, and yeah, do we live in a world of weak men? I think that, I think that there's a lot more than there were post World War II, when most men had had to go fight for their lives and not most, but a lot men had to go fight for the lives. They saw, you know, an existential crisis. Yeah. The hardships of the world. And I'm not saying that we should, that's a good thing, but hard times create good men. You know, I didn't create that saying, but I think it's generally true. And, and we live, we don't live in hard times.
0: We definitely, don't we definitely live don't live in hard times. And we definitely have a lot of soft men walking yeah.
2: around this world. Yeah. And you know how far do you take that right um should people be willing to stand up and go to prison well i don't think it's fair to ask anyone to do that because no one else has no one you know it's easy to say it's much easier said than done right um i and i don't think that's necessarily going to move the, the needle goal want either yeah yeah you know i mean uh you look at you know you look at the silk what happened with the silk road right and this guy you know made a website that other people sold drugs on and he ended up life in prison without parole and i think that you know regardless of what you think about drugs and drug law it is it does make everyone stop and think like fuck you know like the dude didn't even like kill anybody he didn't even kill anybody he didn't even like touch anybody that's
0: what they'll try to make you think he did
2: they're trying to make you think he did with like you know and there were like straight up corrupt agents on this case and they made an example of this guy. Right. And how do you compete with like, what do you do? Right. Um, He's, like, and I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not saying like, I want to be, like,
0: I, none of us want to be martyrs or anything. No,
2: you know, no one wants to be a martyr. Right. Like wh- why? We're, we already live in a pretty good life. Um, no one's like, no one's starving in our country. Well, there are people starving here well, in the world, but I don't know about the u.s there's people starving in the u.s really maybe not to death yeah, that's true well I mean okay yeah. going hungry sure like yes. you know ha- ha- yes. having food All insecurity right. sure yes. uh, sorry, I meant like literally starving to death, but yes yeah, sorry. Yes, yes totally absolutely I mean, there's, there, there are people who are definitely struggling for sure um but yeah anyways uh no I'm sorry, I fucked that up. No, no, it's totally fine. It's like, I guess it's a loaded word, I suppose. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really do have optimism that if enough people just push to change the narrative, we can really make progress. I really think narratives are very important. Memes are important, right? Um, Just changing, turning the narrative on its head. I think it's almost a benefit that a lot of the stuff... Go, go, go. it isn't a partisan issue um, because that also means that there isn't a whole class of people really dedicated to fighting you either.
0: Yeah. Right. And what, what I put it is, is like, what do you think is the least amount of effort somebody could do to contribute to the conversation or contribute to like somebody who might be a little timid because they don't want to get on a list or something like
2: that. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing to do is just ask the questions, you know, if you're somewhere, um, Talking with your friends, talking with, a, you know, a politician, talking with a con- congressman, talking with a regulator, like ask the questions respectfully. And I think it's important to understand that respect is very important here because I also truly think that regulators aren't out to get, like, to ruin America. They're not out to like ruin the world, right? Um, I've met regulators face to face, and it was actually very insightful and interesting conversations I've had with them because. And I, I walked away from that with a lot of uh, – with a, a totally like, changed perspective. And that was these regulators actually – I mean, the ones I spoke with, the, you have to understand what they see every day, right? They, they see literal criminals who are actually hurting people. And their job is to make sure that it, that doesn't happen. And right, so they create these rules – to try to make sure that doesn't happen. Now, you can agree with, like, whether these rules are misguided or not, but you have to understand, like, they're sh- you have to put yourself in their shoes, right? A lot of these regulators see, like, for example, at the state level, they literally see companies stealing money from retirees and running away with their money. And they, their job is to make sure that doesn't happen, right? And at the federal level, you know, a lot of these people, they, they literally see, you know... Um, Terrorist people who are killing other people, laundering money. And their job is to make sure that these people can't be successful in what they want to do. And it's important to understand where other people are coming from in these conversations, basically. And I think that if we, you know, we, we have to be able to, we have to be able to have a dialogue if we're going to make any progress here, is what I'm saying. And I think that comes down to educating, engaging in dialogues with the higher-ups, with the regulators, the I think the biggest mistake a lot of people in the space make, especially a lot of entrepreneurs, is sitting around, uh, kind of just complaining about the regulators, complaining about the laws, instead of actually. But how many how many of people who've sat around complaining it, complaining about it, have actually just called called someone up? The phone number is on the web page, of the .gov website for for whoever the regulator is. How many of them called them up and be like, "Hey, I'd love to chat and like talk with you about you know some of the stuff." Just
0: aiding and abetting the
2: state, bro. <laughs> <Why> <laughs> yeah, even I mean, engage. You know, the, yeah. These people, at the end of the day, are people with families who, frankly, a lot of them, you know, their jobs aren't always that interesting. They'd love to talk about it. They'd love to hear your perspective. A lot of these people. So I think it's important to remember that. You know, and, yeah.
0: I, I especially that there are people with families at the end of the day. Behind, yeah, behind this stuff. Yeah,
2: like, totally. I and again, a lot of whom actually find this stuff pretty cool. Oh, well, you know. Most people find Bitcoin I think pretty cool. A lot of these people also find Bitcoin pretty cool. They just you need know, their whole their job is to make sure that people can't these companies like the bad actors aren't stealing people's money, or bad actors aren't funneling money to terrorists. And that's
0: a reasonable goal. Yes, and I believe that is the happy medium. Tra- pe- like we need to focus on is the trade-offs. Like. Uh, how much information needs to be seeded by everybody to achieve that goal. Totally. Right?
2: Totally. And I think that's the conversation that needs to be had. Um, If you kind of come at them guns blazing with, you know, fuck the system, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, it's just, and honestly, it doesn't even resonate with the majority of the country. And so um, I think it's just important to keep that in mind for people in the Bitcoin space. Is that the dialogue is gonna be much more productive if you understand where the, the other people are coming from. You statist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. A kid, a kid. I'm fucking No, I agree. Like,
0: yeah, and it's not just like, I mean it's always important to see the other perspective, right? Absolutely. Or at least try to. Very few of these people are sitting around. If only going, because you can strengthen your own case, right?
2: Yeah, totally totally very few of these people are sitting around no none of these people wake up every morning going how can i ruin the united states or how can i oppress or take away people's freedom today right that's not what they wake up saying that's not what these people like care about right these people wake up thinking either it's just their job right or like they wake up every day thinking like okay my job today is to make sure that you know, retirees don't get their money taken. Yeah,
0: and they're trying to do what's right. They're trying to do what's right. And if you, if you voice that you think that like data collection and financial surveillance and inflated money are not right, maybe they'll try to protect those rights. You just yeah. have to voice that opinion. That hey, that is where the the
2: the public wants to be protected. And right. they may have never even been exposed to these ideas or understand that like you know these a lot of the regulators aren't necessarily spending all day reading hacker news or Reddit or understanding the implications of computer systems with all this information and this and the second or, second order implications of that. Right. Calmly explaining to them like the issues at play here is also very useful. And I think we just need more of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think everybody wants to just enjoy their lives and get to go about their lives yeah, without having to worry about any of this shit. That's the thing. Like, when when are we not going to have to worry about this shit? Right?
2: And I think you. I mean, you brought up a good point, and it made me think of something. Is you know maybe the answer here is, you know, the real thing that they want is like an alternative, right? Okay, if we're not if the if the Bank Secrecy Act isn't it, right? If if collecting all of your your social security number, your address, and doing all this KYC and getting your ID, blah 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 blah. If that's not it, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't solve our pro, if that's overreach and we don't need to do all that to solve the problems we want to solve, which is, you know, shutting down certain crimes, then what? what's an alternative that does protect the privacy of people? And maybe that's a solution, right? Maybe we as an industry get together and like propose an alternative. And I haven't really seen much work being done there. No.
0: And hey, any of you freaks listening out there. If not you then
2: who? Right. If not you then who? Because we can't sit here and say, fuck it all. That's never gonna fly, right? Come up with something better. And put it out there. Yeah, put it out there. Battle test it. Get you know, work with Coin Center, work with some of these nonprofits, put put together a a memo or a law, go talk to some legislators. <sighs> talk about this national security implications of having everyone's financial data in these databases that the Chinese could access, you know, I mean, spin the narrative, right? Like talk about the actual downsides of
0: KYC AML. The downsides far outweigh the upsides, my, my opinion. Yeah. You're, I mean, Equifax, like all these hacks are everybody's financial data is on the black market and people are getting identity frauded left and right. Absolutely. Credit card frauded left and right. I'm making up verbs right now, but it's happening.
2: Like, no, I mean the government. You know, OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, in the government was hacked years ago. At this point, and basically anyone who has ever worked for the government had their Social Security number and personal information leaked. If that's not a national security issue. I don't know what is. Right. Like, imagine, imagine all the identity theft. Imagine identity theft of government employees. Well,
0: here, this is a tweet I sent out years ago. At this point, but it was like two years ago when Equifax was hacked. Like, so they have all that identifying information. Like, imagine if somebody with the Equifax hack data basically just quasi-DDOSed the IRS with fake tax returns. Yeah. And it got to the point where it's like, like, like they have all that tax information. You can literally file fake taxes on behalf of other people. Like, say somebody, like a hacker has my tax information and they filed like a tax return where I gave back a bunch more money than I wanted to on my behalf. And I was like, well, I didn't file those taxes, but like, just because they had that information, they weren't allowed to file that information. Like you could attack that s- system with that information. If somebody was basically dedicated to do that. Actually, now that I think about this, somebody came back and said that would not be possible. Hmm. So that was the thought experiment may not be possible.
2: Interesting. But I mean, Regardless, I think there's still a lot of attacks that could be made. Right, and I think the conclusion that we may have come to here is, if you can't just be anti-something, right, you have to be you have to propose an alternative, and and why and give reasons why it's better. Yes,
0: and so I propose Bitcoin because it's a push system, and I would highly uh, prefer that to the pull system that we live in today. We can talk
2: about ACH. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what about <laughs> ACH. What are your thoughts on ACH? Oh, it's, well, push versus pull is interesting, right? Because pull does create a lot of efficiencies. Um, you don't have to think about stuff, paying your bills, right? You Just pay it. You don't have to auto approve every single um, payment. Uh, but you know, in the United States, we have this automated clearing house. Um, S- system ach which is how all the you know one of the ways that banks move money around and we we move money from our bank accounts to merchants and things like that it's and anyone who's a member of it can pull funds from any bank account in the country basically unless unless your financial institution has requires approval which it can add um, but most most accounts don't have that most Most individuals have a bank account where anyone can, anyone, any merchant in the ACH system can pull funds from the bank account. Now the kind of saving grace here is that if someone pulls money from your bank account and you didn't authorize it, you just call up your bank and they reverse this. And then the bank of the person who pulled the money is on the hook for it. The person, whoever, whoever, the merchant who pulled the money is on the hook for that money. Right? So it's a weird system, and it feels highly insecure, but it kind of works. But it doesn't really work that well. It could be a lot better, probably. But yeah, it's a weird system. You have a system
0: where, like here in New York City, like one company, like because he had access to, ACH, like he pulled, like I'm pretty sure, like a payment processor, like pulled money from people's accounts and just like ran away with it.
2: Really? Yeah. Wow. Here yeah. in New York. I mean, and once it's pulled, it's pulled. If if their if their bank uh, they didn't stop, you know, typically banks require some, a merchant to have a um, kind of like bond on hold with them. But if you pull more than that, right. And you want not run away with it, then yeah. Who's responsible. You just rely on the legal system at that point. But at that point, once it's in the legal system, you're kind of fucked because I mean, the lawyers to walk away with, you lost out on the present value of that money. You walk. So well, one, you lost out on the present value two. Um, the lawyers have probably walked away with a good half. Of it. You, know, you know, I don't know. Well, the lawyers walk end up walking away with a lot of it, and then how much has already been spent? You know, who's it going to come from at the end of the day? Right, uh, right. Like you know, so it's fucked. But yeah, you know, if you write, you know, if you write a check to someone, they have your account routing number, right? So if they have access to the ACH system, they can pull from your account. And if you don't notice, which is the which is pretty likely, honestly, for people not to notice because people these days have so many bills. Things are automatically paid. No one's gonna notice ten dollars, twenty dollars. I mean, not no one, but a lot of people won't unless you're paying with close attention. Because how many people willy nilly sign up for Spotify ten dollars, uh, Netflix ten dollars? You know, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm sure whatever that's something. You know, and you just make it look legit. They could even like make it look, you know, right, right in. Maybe Spotify. Spotify would be... You're like, oh, okay, yeah,
0: looks legit. Spotify, all capitalized, the I is just lowercase L, something like that. right,
2: Right. exactly. Right. So, and now there's other countries with kind of alternative systems that are push-based. Actually, I used to work for a Bitcoin company that was in Taiwan, and the money moved instantly there. And actually, people... But it's a different culture. People had card readers at their computer um, at home. They would have they wanted to send money they could actually put their chip card with a chip they plug sorry plug this reader into usb in their computer put their card with a chip into that reader and pay and Holy pay shit. instantly yeah it's pretty cool and then also another way people would pay was i never knew this yeah and, and um the way we would sell people bitcoin was uh an, an alternative way was we uh say how did it work? Yeah, so let's say you wanted to buy like a thousand Taiwan dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? So you enter a thousand Taiwan dollars, we give you a bill to pay. This bill is like a thing you print out. And you go to seven eleven or Family Mart or one of the convenience stores and you pay them a thousand Taiwan dollars in cash and they mark this thing as paid and it hooks back to our system and it tells us you paid it. And they get the Bitcoin. They get the Bitcoin, and eventually the cash gets sent, deposited to to the, the company's account. But um, now there are things like that in the U.S., kind of like MoneyGram, Western Union, or um, I think I mean, Western Union didn't acquire them, but they're a separate company, MoneyGram. And so you know, MoneyGram is at CVS's, and you can do that kind of stuff. But good luck if they let you if they let a Bitcoin company use their platform because they probably won't. Fuckers. And most banks in the U.S. won't let a Bitcoin company even have an account.
0: Well,
2: that's what makes me like a little pessimist.
0: Like, do you think they're going to attack Bitcoin? The incumbents. Like,
2: I don't know. The nice thing is that there has been a niche of banks that have allowed Bitcoin companies to use them, and they have made a good amount of money on that. Like Silver Bank. Uh, Silvergate. Silvergate. Um, yeah, there's a number of them, and the Silicon Valley Bank. Right? Yeah, SVB. I think I don't know if they still are. They at least were and as the space grows there's more and more incentive for banks to do this the reason banks are hesitant is because of the compliance risk basically you know a bank charter from the government is a privilege right not a right and uh they don't like you know they don't want problems from the fdic cuz if you look at the numbers right the cryptocurrency space is tiny compared to the economy Minnesota. right so, why would Bank of America risk regulatory action to service um, a pimple on their ass? A pimple, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. If, you, if you put yourself in their shoes, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So, again, this will just come back to looking at the system that we've created.
0: Yeah. Do you think we can slowly wean ourselves
2: off? This is an interesting question because I don't know the answer. There, there are two ways this could go, right? If Bitcoin, a good thought experiment is if Bitcoin becomes a big, a widely used money in the United States, does the government just apply the same regulations and you just get absorbed into the regulatory state? It's probably likely, right? The alt- but even if that happens, I still argue we're better off because at least you can completely control your Bitcoin, whereas you can't really with cash. It, I think we're, it's, strictly, it's still strictly better, right? But the much better scenario would be to like, as Bitcoin grows, we have as an industry collectively pushed the narrative of economic freedom, of monetary freedom, and more importantly, time preference, I think. in time preference. Um, and this, like the dream, the unicorn dream would be that with the rise of Bitcoin, we have effectively convinced people to reduce consumption, you know, save, have lower time preference, and value um, economic and monetary freedom. And if we've, you know, if we've gotten people in the United States to care about that, then hopefully that will manifest itself in our laws and regulations. But it's, it's not easy and it's going to be a lot of work and, you know, people like you and other content producers and it's, it's on, so it's on you. It's on me as a company. I mean, it's on, it's on all of us to, to push up, to push this stuff and, and bring the world that we want to see into existence. Well, that's the beauty of it, right? Like if Absolutely. not me, then who,
0: if yeah. not you, then who?
2: Exactly. I mean,
0: like, it is, it all, it's all about, effort skin in the game yeah like if you we can make this happen it's just having enough people step up to to make it happen it does take work it doesn't just happen
2: it takes action action is needed absolutely and the thing that i would tell people and i think this is something that both of you you and i have internalized was if you've ever sat around and complained about something and never done anything about it you know what are you doing right like okay. Good for you you're a complainer. Now do something about it. And so that's the like that's the conclusion. Here. Follow through, right? Follow like, through. Anyone yeah. can complain. And
0: and and I'm not here to say that, like I'm not solving the world's problems either. I'm putting my best effort forward to.
2: Yeah. At least you're doing something.
0: To to bring awareness, yeah. you know. Um that's And I mean what you're I feel what you're doing with the river is like Way more leverageable, right? Like you're, getting, you're creating the on ramp, right?
2: Like, Ho- hopefully, right? You know, I mean, right now we're still small. We're still a small company. I think the real where the rubber meets the road is is going to be like if we can be this big company that I really hope we can be, and there's by it's by no means guaranteed, right? I mean, we're we're a small startup, and we have a long ways to go. But if we do, you know, reach that goal. What are what what kind of company are we going to be like? What values are we going to embody? And you know, if I'm still around, which I hope I am, then it's going to be you know pushing this narrative of economic freedom and trying to you know have a pair of balls. Frankly, <laughs> it's but it's tough when you're small, man. It is really tough because if you want to come out swinging when you don't have any clout, you're not going to get anywhere because they're gatekeepers and the gatekeepers aren't going to let you through the gate uh you know you need a bank account right you need to like i said you need to sit down with the regulators and have the conversation and that's okay right it's okay to it's okay to play ball when you're young and and even with your when you're older but when you're bigger it, it's not okay to try to push the system in your favor to block out everyone else right it's not okay to to not try to improve things for the better. And I think that's really kind of what I want to embody in my company is as if we're successful, you know, our goal is to try to improve things for the better. And I hope we can do that. Maybe that's naive, but I don't think so. I think the, the pie within Bitcoin
0: is big enough that there can be many, many, many successful I people
2: agree. building I, on it. Right? I look up to square, for example, I mean, yeah, we're also selling. You know, we're a Bitcoin on ramp. They're a Bitcoin on ramp. I think, though, largely, I think that there's there's room for definitely for both of us to exceed to succeed. And we also just offer, you know, somewhat different products, right? There's room for Fidelity. There's room for Charles Schwab, right? In the stock in the stock market game, right? There's room for Cash App and I. And I see Cash as this like and Square in general, and Jack Dorsey is just these like shining examples of people who can really who are really putting their money where their mouth is. I look up to those guys tremendously.
0: I like again. Disclaimer sponsor, whatever, but They're not a
2: sponsor of me. I can say it. Yeah. But <laughs> no, like honestly, like
0: Jack gets shit on a lot, but I think he's a fucking very, very rare principled founder in today's day and age. Uh, I think I agree. And I think he's more critical of himself than a lot of other founders are. Yeah. And I really think he contemplates the impact he has on the world.
2: I totally agree. And I, I think it's not important. It, I mean, I don't personally, I'm not someone who turns everyone, people into heroes. I think people are human. But at the end of the day, like Jack, someone I just really look up to, I think he keeps a low personal profile. So he doesn't really necessarily get a fair shake, I think, in the media You make it's very easy to criticize any social media CEO these days. Yeah, and like to think that he has full control over Twitter in particular. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. You know, I think he he had left Twitter for years. He, a lot of the people there are not anyone he's hired. And what and he, he did, what he did two weeks
0: ago, announcing that uh, open source team, you can tell he's like.
2: Yeah, and I, dude, when I, I, mean, I,
0: I just, think he's on our side. I've said this on this podcast I think Jack's before. On our side. Like when I spoke with him earlier this year, like that's one thing. That's why I like to speak to people in person because you get to look them in the eyes. And, yeah, people look that motherfucker in the eyes, and I think he's earnest, and like, he, he's for the cause. like yeah. of, of the digital again. Like we need leaders like that in the digital age. We are again at a very critical juncture. You know, one or two, one of two directions. Yep. Complete dystopia, surveillance state, or the hard way, like open systems, cryptography, open source software, and. The battle is being fought right now. We're in the midst of a war. Yeah. The war for the future is here. It's upon us, freaks. You're fighting, whether you realize
2: it or not. No, totally. And I hope we get more jacks, you know. Um, he was able to convince this public company, Square, to create an entire you know, division to just not doing anything that generates profit. It just works in Bitcoin full time.
0: And again, the focus on Bitcoin, particularly, yeah. is, uh very telling, very prescient.
2: Yeah, and I'm, and I, the beautiful thing is, Bitcoin brings that out in people, right? It it brings out the, you know, the chutzpah. The chutzpah. The chutzpah. I'm not. Saying, I'm probably saying that right. I don't know for sure, but it just feels like the right Kutzpah. word. Chutzpah. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, and. The one thing that I think the what I the men and the women who work on Bitcoin stuff, they have this fire. And and that's what I hire for it at, at River too is 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 the guys and the girls at, at River and it's just Bitcoin in general. Everyone's got this spark. They're switched on. That and, and that's it's just a sign, like that we're on the right path. What is that spark you look for? I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's just, it's just, you just kind of feel it when you, you know, when you, you, you meet someone it and it's in their eyes, they're just switched on. They're not, we kind of joke about, it's kind of a meme that we we joke about. It's like kind of the fluoride stare. <laughs> we kind of joke where it's like. I haven't heard the fluoride stare. Yeah. It's like, you know. Uh, the fluoride stare—it's like they're drinking. It's kind of the meme. It's like they're drinking too much f- fluoride in the water. Your eyes are uh,
0: crystallized.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you know, you, you try. You know, they're talking about football, and you bring up the Pentagon losing a trillion dollars, and all you get back is the fluoride stare. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, what? Oh, bro. Like bro, I, I, I don't dude. know, man. I'm not really into politics. Uh, yeah, dude. But what about the Cowboys? You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like they don't get—they don't have the fluoride stare, right? It's like they're just like. You just have an energy and they're just present and they care about something that is important. And I just, you, you just feel it. You, you kind of know it when you see it. And that's, that's what I look for. And that's what I love about Bitcoin is pretty much everyone's like that. You can't say that about a lot of other industries. I've worked at big companies. I've worked at small companies. Um, you know, there's a lot of people at big companies making a lot of money don't do shit and they don't have a fire they don't care about life really i mean they care sorry i don't want to say they don't care about life that's not accurate they care about their life but they're not they don't care about anything you know that really gets them excited they don't wake a lot of these people who make a yeah, lot of money for like,
0: something bigger for themselves
2: yeah you know it's like bigger than themselves. i don't want to pick one like companies but like you know let's say you're you're working on some you you're working at Facebook and you you're working on optimizing some like part of the group's Facebook groups app, right? It's like you know, after a year or two you get over the shock of earning a great paycheck, you know, you're out of college, you've been there a few years, you get used to the creature comforts of it all. You lose the you know, you lose the there's nothing else to keep you excited, right? The, the luster of Silicon Valley is worn off. The luster of the paycheck is worn off. The luster of the perks have worn off. And you're stuck realizing that you're waking up every day just like optimizing this like app that you don't really care about. No. With Bitcoin, I've never lost my excitement after like six or seven years. I've, I wake up every day excited to work on Bitcoin. And so does everyone else who works on it. And like I've never seen anything else like that before. Um, what is it? I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's like a drug almost, but people people I know is, I mean you've probably experienced this too, but I don't want to say people are jealous, but it's like people who don't really care about Bitcoin are kind of they see that in you that you do and they're like I wish I could find that in my life. I wish I could find something I cared about that much in my life outside of my friends, of course, outside of your friends and your family, everyone cares about their friends and their family more than they usually more than they care about you know anything else, but um people wish they could have found something professionally that they cared that much about
0: no you. i mean i I totally feel that yeah. and there's not I don't want to say lost generation lost generations of people living in the cube, yeah. Doing stuff they do not want to do no stuff. They do not like stuff that does not fulfill the human need for for growth and and Wonder of what what could be like it's people working for other people, right? Like,
2: Absolutely the, the periods of my life where I've earned the most money and had the biggest paychecks I've actually been the least happiest the, the happiest I've ever been has been when I moved to San Francisco and I slept on a yoga mat for two months trying to learn programming and focusing on trying to get a job in Bitcoin, and now when I <clears throat> I don't take much of a paycheck and building this comp- helping build this company uh, with a ton of other very talented folks, and um, it's just like do or die. It's just like I'm just working. And it's just like it's the hustle. I'm working on Bitcoin. And I've never been... Ha- those are the two times in my life where I've been the happiest. Yeah, no...
0: And- Again, I don't want to rub and tug each other here, but, like, I, I feel, like, the same way, too. Like, I started Marty's Ben out of necessity. I was, I've told this story before, too. Like, I was unemployed for two years almost. I was unemployed for, like, 19 months. As much as I wanted to be a product manager, as confident as I was in my abilities to fill that role, I'd never done jack shit in that role. I'd never built a product. I'd never done any of that. And that's where Marty's Ben started. I was like, all right, I need to build something. I need to prove that I can talk about a product let alone manage a team that can build one. And I'd been reading and writing or learning about Bitcoin for so long. I was like, all right, I'll start writing about this. And just naturally it's turned into this. Now fucking like 10,000 of you freaks download this podcast every week. And this yeah. is what I do now. It yeah. just happened naturally.
2: That's awesome, man.
0: No, but it's, it's like,
2: it's when you, you found that fire, right?
0: But it's like, you, you, you don't know you need it till you have it.
2: Yeah, like,
0: yeah, you know, I was literally forced into this. For you didn't know me. what you like. I was, have. I was that. I was, I was. I had gone. I, I went to dozens of interviews, turned down, turned down, and when I started writing about something that I knew about, that's when I started not getting turned down, which is crazy. But like to think that you can just, and that's like talking about our generation. Like I, I fell into that trap. I was like, oh, I'm smart. And I went to the schools to hit the credentials. It's just going to happen for me,
2: you're always just told you know, yeah, just follow the rules and you'll and you'll be content and you'll be comfortable yeah and i and then it doesn't work out that way, and then no and, and then i mean for for a lot of people it does, and they they get a paycheck, and then they're still stuck in that like what 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 else is out there, right? I know people who you know are guaranteed to have millions of dollars you know by the time they're thirty years old and they're not happy they're like is this it you know and then they realize like there's this other stuff out there they could really care about and I'm like shit that's life and well, that's what it's about
0: well and freaks think about it cuz life comes with heavy opportunity costs yeah you can waste a lot of time doing shit you do not like and i've seen a lot of people waste a lot of time doing shit they do not like and they regret
2: it yeah absolutely you know, but everyone needs to make that decision for themselves. There's something right. to be said for putting in some time, building the skills at a big company, seeing what, seeing oh. how big companies run. That's very valuable. Completely the, agree. The, I think the trick is to know when to get off that, get off that hamster
0: wheel. Exactly. When to know when enough is enough. Yeah. Alex, you got to get going. It's been an incredible three and a half hours. Almost. It's been
2: great, man. It's been an honor. Yeah. Well, just, please,
0: honor. <sighs> <sighs> it's been an honor having you here. You're building products that are making Bitcoin easier to access for the everyday layman. And again, going back to DCA products, like the set it and forget it nature of uh, dollar cost averaging. Yep. Like that's what the next time we speak, hopefully probably midway through next year, I want to hear stats about like people that like sign up for your, your service and just like forget that they even signed up and just like buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'll be sure to let you know. I mean, we've already surpassed our goal of you know people who have set up recurring, recurring orders, and I hope that trend continues. So, yeah, I hope also next year I can see you again, and we're in as many states as possible. But, yeah, river.com.
0: What are uh, the parting notes you want to leave
2: the freaks out here? I think that the conclusion we've come to in this podcast is if you're sitting around – and you want something to be different ask yourself what have you done to make that happen and if you need help with that feel free to reach out to me feel free to reach out to Marty and make that happen we're both on Twitter we both have websites we're both pretty easy to get in touch with and if you want to make something happen for the better of Bitcoin we're here to help you with that and help you get started if you don't know where to start yeah You actually locked down a great Twitter name, at Leishman. At Leishman. Yeah, luckily my name isn't too common. Unfortunately, there's a very famous golfer with my last name, and I get his tweets sometimes. So, Eh, That's good to mix up with a golfer. Yeah. Um, I can't golf.
0: Neither can I. Alex, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for building the products that you do, and uh, thank you for joining us today. We got uh, really drunk. Yeah. We're done (laughs) all the beers. Some good whiskey. Some good whiskey. What is that? Buffalo. Some you know, I'm
2: not, I normally don't drink much whiskey, but this was actually good.
0: Yeah. This was good stuff. Shout out to Mama Bent. She picked yeah. this up for
2: Christmas. Wow. Awesome. All right. Peace and love, freaks. Peace and love. Merry Christmas. Okay.